tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Morning, welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number, won't cost you to make a call. And Leanne is looking after us uh, today. Coming up on the show on this Valentine's Day, we're asking what is love? And we'll be speaking to relationships mentor and our psychotherapist, uh, Susan, in just a few moments' time. Who was St. Valentine? Well, Dr. Connor Reedy has all of the answers for us there. He has the story. We'll be speaking about romantic movies with Leanne. Alison is in Port Row for this week's uh, Village Tour. She'll be live from there just after 10 o'clock this morning. And we have a youth panel for you today as well after 11. So I'm really looking forward to introducing them to you. So all of that and much, much more. But first of all, this morning, before I have a quick look at uh, the papers, Father Michael Toomey was on to us. I'm sure you're aware of the tragic killing of the six-year-old Matthew Purcell Healy. His funeral is today. But can you believe... There's an online scam inviting you to view the little boy's funeral by clicking on a link. Now, just to make it quite clear, Matthew's funeral is not being live-streamed. This is a scam. Do not click on the link. Now, it's truly disheartening and appalling that there are individuals who would exploit such a tragedy for their own uh, personal uh, gain. And it really is a reminder uh, of the unfortunate reality that there's the existence of malicious and evil individuals uh, out there. So do not click on that link uh, whatsoever. And thanks to Father Michael for um, uh, reminding us about that this morning. Let's have a look at uh, the front pages of some of your newspapers, the Irish Independent and Toy Show. The musical is making the headlines there and there was a palpable sense of panic and pressure in RTE over the rather disastrous Toy Show. The musical, a writer on the show, has revealed and writing in the Indo today, Elisa Tierney Kyo details the sense of chaos behind the scenes on the flop musical that lost over two million. And of course, uh, the um, uh, Oireachtas Committee uh, will interrogate that today, I'm sure. Uh, the Irish Examiner and uh, their main story, Israel is now behaving like a monster, said Taoiseach Leo Radkar with the tarnished to Michal Martin, adding that sanctions against Benjamin Netanyahu's government should not be ruled out. And uh, the Children's Hospital again making headlines. The bill to the taxpayer for the delayed National Children's uh, Hospital has now uh, risen well over two billion, and yet the government still can't say for sure when it will begin treating sick children. And also that story, of course, of the little boy who was murdered, and a woman appeared before Waterford District Court last night charged with murdering uh, her six-year-old son. The Irish Times. And again, reference there to the teacher accusing Israel of becoming blinded by rage and the story of the children's hospital as well. But an interesting one that the Australian financial services giant uh, Macquarie's uh, asset management arm has agreed to buy the Beacon Hospital in a deal that's uh, estimated to be worth more than $400 million. And Dennis O'Brien will have a few bob out of that. And again, the Irish Daily Mail making reference to Toy Show, the musical, and uh, the former chair of the RTE board, Moya Doherty, 
uh, asked that memos on the risks, costs and ticket sales for Toy Show the Musical not be shared before a key meeting that greenlit the rather costly flop. So that's uh, making headlines today and as I say uh, before the Dole uh, Oireachtas Committee uh, today as well of which Matty McGrath is part of that and hopefully we'll be speaking to Matty uh, about the result of uh, that interrogation on the programme tomorrow. You can text him WhatsApp Oh, three three double one double three double one. You can email at any time, and that's tip today at tipfm.com. Now, on a much happier note, it is Valentine's Day, and relationship expert and mentor Susan O'Donoghue joins me now. Good morning to you, Susan. Good morning, friend. And thanks very much indeed for coming into us uh, today. Um, love is in the air and all of that kind of thing. W- what is love? As far as you're concerned, Susan? Uh, I suppose as far as I'm concerned, you know me, I always go back to myself again. And um, I think we want to belong and be loved. And I think our greatest need is unconditional love. Yeah. And that's hard to get, isn't it? Without conditions attached to it. You know, So I think the greatest, our greatest need is to, con- we always love ourselves, right? But we're either conscious or unconscious in it. And the unconscious stuff is all the protectors that we gather along the way. That might be being jealous of somebody, you know, all those feelings that come up, they're indicators of unconsciousness. Fear is a huge indicator of unconscious behaviours coming up. So if I'm jealous of somebody else, if I'm envious, if I'm angry, if all the real strong feelings, the ones that are filled with fear, yeah, they're the feelings that let me know that there's something going on inside for me. And that's where that's where my business is, is inside in me, not out there, yeah? So when I crave unconditional love, the real unconditional love I crave is from myself. <laughs> That's very interesting indeed. And for for people then who crave love, and particularly that romantic love, it, you're saying that it's something inside themselves that needs to be addressed or looked at? Well, or? what I'm saying to you is that there's no wrong, right? Because we got protectors, uh, unconditional protectors now, for a very good reason, because we needed them, right? We needed yes. them to survive, right? But then we hit 18 and... Unfortunately, we don't find the safety to have a look inside and see how is it that I'm jealous of people who have whatever, who seem to be in love, right? Because we mm. keep on the romantic team today. Yeah. How is it that I'm envious when I look at social media, yeah? Which is, you know, like we know in our hearts that a lot of that isn't, you know, what it appears to be. But when I look at social media and I see happy people, happy couples, happy families, happy all this, how is it that I feel so bad within myself? That's that's an invitation now from yourself. Remember, you're creating the feeling. Mm, yeah? yeah. Nobody else is creating it because it's coming from you. You're the one feeling it. So when these feelings come up, and especially the strong ones, they're our best indicator of what's happening inside for us. So now this is an opportunity to have a look inwards and sit with yourself and find safety, whether it's with a friend, whether it's with a professional, somebody where you can build a relationship and with somebody who has already examined their own behaviour. There's no point in sitting with somebody if they're in a very defensive place because I can't give what I don't have. Does that make sense? It does make sense, yeah. And why is it that many of us don't feel complete if we don't find this special person or find this special feeling? And that's a feeling again, isn't it? That sense of not being complete, that sense of not being, I suppose, there or not being good enough or not, you know, having what the other has. That's kind of a sense of envy too. You don't feel like you're there yet. So that's a feeling, remember now. So that's yourself, right? Giving you this nudge, if you want. It's your wisdom telling you there's something not right here for you, yeah? 
there's a block here for you if you want to put it that way or you're using this protector now which you really don't need anymore maybe because as adults it's our responsibility now to take care of our own needs mm. yeah and i guess we can't expect somebody to complete us and if we do we'll probably end up disappointed will we well we're very complete the way we are yeah. <laughs> we don't need anybody else to complete us and like all those i love all the romantic songs right and i um you know that one um Oh, what's Barry White? You're my everything. What's he saying? Yeah, yeah. You're my first, my last, yeah. my everything. Yeah. I sing that to myself. Okay. Because think of the words. You're my first, my last, my everything. Every, because that's who else is going to be that to you? Yeah. There is nobody else out there who is actually going to be that to you. And my idea of r- romantic relationships and love is two separate people. Yeah who look at their own story and look at their own behaviours and what I call CPR, which is continual personal reflection, right? You keep looking inwards to have a look and see how it is for you. Keep working on yourself, not on the other, because a lot of times what we do is we try and change the other person or we'll say, oh, sure, he'll be grand, you know, he's lovely, because we all come on very fluffy when we meet each other and it's <laughs> fabulous, yeah? You have six months of woohoo and then... They start to touch yes. into sore points. Yeah. Yeah. Well, reality, I suppose. Reality kicks. Well, yeah. do you know what it is? As I as, as I said to you earlier, friend, I think that we all draw people to us that we need to learn from. Yeah. Mm. So stuff in our story, because why are we attracted to them? There's something coming up there for us. And remember, we're very wise. Yeah. Whether it's unconscious or conscious, we're still our wisdom is amazing. Yeah. So we're always there to uh, mind ourselves. We're never an enemy to ourselves. So everything that we say, do and feel is 100% about us. So just watch your behaviour and watch what your response is or your reaction is to other people, you know. And so when somebody really upsets you, they're doing you a favour. I know it doesn't sound like it at times, but they actually are because they're giving you an opportunity now to check in with yourself and see what sore point they've actually touched into. When you deal with couples and when you mm. mentor couples, and that, is, is that how you describe it, by the way, Me- mentoring? I would say I accompany people. That's mentoring, yeah? Accompany I accompany people. people. That's how I see it, yeah. because everybody's the expert on themselves, yeah? Like yeah. I was, you know, you said the relationship expert. I'm the relationship expert on myself. Yes. Yeah, but I've done a lot of work on myself. So therefore, I've, I have the tools and I have, I suppose the understanding of behaviour that I can sit with another and reflect back to them because I would never impose that I know what's best for another person because their wisdom is for them and about them. And what I love to do is I love to accompany somebody, to support them, to bring their wisdom to consciousness, that Mm. they actually see it. They think, oh my God, that's amazing, you know, that I did that. But surely even the very fact that people would come to you would show you that there's a sense of awareness there of something. I would say there's a sense of desperateness or a need or something sits right. Yes. And I'll always say to somebody, look, you can come to me. If if, If what I say doesn't sit right for you, please, 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 do not come back if you don't want to. Don't mm. don't feel obligated, right? Because for me always, it's what sits right for you. And sometimes, like, I suppose when I would have been starting out on this journey, right, I would have, things would have been said to me and they would have really rocked my boat, yeah? They would have been like, that's so much, you know, that's that's nonsense. I don't know what he's, you know, they're talking about, that's stupid. That's how I would have felt. But the the even that it touched into me that much, even that it made that impact on me, there was something in it for me. Do you know what I'm saying? Because anything that has an impact on you, whether it's that defensive reaction where you go, oh, that's stupid, they don't know what they're talking about, right? Or whether it's the one that, oh my God, that really sits right for me. If it makes an impact on you, 
there's something in it for you. Right, and that's very evident, I guess, with couples. With couples, yeah, yeah. I never see two people together. Oh, because, do you not? No, because right. what it is is you're two separate individuals. Okay. If you bring two people into a room, right, you'll have, like, I think conflict is amazing, right, because I think that we learn so much from it. But if you bring two people into a room, right, generally what it, what ends up happening is they'll start barking back and forth at each other mm. and nothing gets resolved, yeah? And then you're like a referee in between. But, like... And people are so hurt, you know, and we really get hurt by other people, you know. And that hurt is calling for our attention to look in and see what's coming up for us. Because if 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 there wasn't something in there already, you couldn't possibly hurt me if there wasn't a sore spot in there. Do you know, for different people, it'll be different things like, say, um, if somebody said to somebody, oh, my God, you know, you're useless, you're no good. One person might just go, yeah, whatever, and leave it over their head, mm. whereas another person might be hugely impacted by that. And that goes back then to your story. Right, so you it? can chase that back in some way, can it's, you? It's the connection back. And it's always you are the expert on yourself. Yeah. So my job when I sit with people is to accompany them and reflect back to them, you know, and how is that for you? And believe you me, nobody will, until they feel that safety, you're not going to bring stuff to consciousness because it's too threatening. If it has been threatening for you and that's why you went into hiding, as I call it, Mm. right? And you put up your walls and your protectors. It's true relationship now with safety that you'll start to take them down. And like, you know, I think that any emotion that comes up for us that's really, really strong, it's the most wonderful opportunity to have a look inwards. But you need the safety to do that. Is there a danger within a relationship, though, Susan, that, you know, in terms of looking inwards and people on that journey that you and I often speak about, that you might be further down the road or the other person is further down the road than you, does that not inevitably lead to difficulties as well, you know? Oh, Fran, I must say now you've just hit a hit a point there for me that I struggled with. <laughs> when I think about how crazy it was, I like I suppose when I started this, I was like, oh my god, you know, my hubby, he's not going to catch up with me now. I mean, when you think about it, it's so nuts. <laughs> sure, I was drawn to him for a reason. Mm. Yeah, yeah. We're living together, right? We're any see behavior leads behavior, right? So if I start like say things that maybe. I was doing unconsciously before, Mm. right? And I'm still doing unconscious stuff because that's what it is. But things that I would have been doing unconscious before, when I got clued into that, like the person that you're with then sees a change. And they go, oh. And nobody wants to be unconscious. Nobody wants to live their life, like say, in hiding. That's how I'll say it, right? We all want to live our lives to our full potential. We all want to be free in the sense that we can be ourselves and bring ourselves to the table. So when I'm living an unconscious life, it's in fear. It's I'm hiding the whole time from the world because it's too threatening. Nobody wants to be in that place. So when you're with somebody, and when I think about it, like it was so, um, I won't say, but like just, you know, I don't know, so unconscious of me even to think that I'd be ahead of him. Mm. Do you know? Like... Like, who says that he's not doing the work on himself? Like, we never know another truly, do we? Yes. What, what exactly is going on That was my fear them. coming yeah. up, that, oh, my God, you know, am I going to be ahead of him now? What's he going to do? Why am I going to speed him up to catch up? <laughs> like, it's just, you know, but it's such a lovely, unconscious thing to look back on right. and think, oh, my goodness, you know, I'm I'm just thankful that I'm after, you know, I suppose bringing stuff to consciousness along the way. It just, it's very freeing. Because now it's not my job to move my husband along. It's my job to take care of myself. Can I be a little curious as well? You you say you meet 
couples um, individually and of course there's all sorts of couples the same sex couples and the, but can we just take a man and a woman for, for, okay. for a moment the gender difference in terms of what you see um, people coming into you with issues is it very evident that there's men and women with to, who think about life and think about relationships and love very differently I would think that society maybe I think that we're all human Right. I don't think that, you know, I think that we all deserve uh, feminine and masculine qualities. We all deserve an equal share of both. We need an equal share of both. I just think society has pushed men to be, you know, uh, they can be angrier. They can, um, I suppose, be the ones that go out, the hunter gatherers, like all this stuff is in the background. Now, that's how uh, I suppose we've evolved in a sense. But I think we all crave the same thing. We all crave that sense of love, unconditional love and belonging. That's what we want. But we want it in here, not out there. But to have it in here, because it's true relationship that we feel we don't have it, it's true relationship that we'll be able to get back there again. So for me, that that sense of a man and a woman, it's kind of a cultural thing, isn't it? You know, the woman stays at home. I mean, it's changing now, in mm, fairness, because mm. women are out working and men are home, you know, with the children and stuff. But it's just it's just a cultural effect. I don't really think... I think we're all human. I don't think there's a difference. Does romance get in the way sometimes of... I like an old bit of romance, do you? Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, does it get in the way of... I mean, I'm talking about expectations here. Oh, We've yeah. been talking about it in terms of movies a little later yeah. on with, with Leanne, but books and particularly yeah. social media now yeah. as well, all this grandiose stuff. And the, yeah. Can it get in the way of... It can, and, you know, it's it's it's. I was just looking up stuff last night and I saw that... Um, Mark Travers, from, uh, he's a contributor to Forbes, right, dot com, and he just looked at different surveys that were done. And he said the commodification of love, right? So, like, you know... Valentine's that's, Day, yeah, I suppose, yeah. It's like yeah. the expectation. So it's driven by people wanting to sell stuff, yeah? So that makes complete sense why we're all caught up in it, yeah? Because... Do you know what I mean? It's kind of a, we all want to belong. Yeah? Mm, yeah. We all want to be, you know what I mean, in the group and in the party. So if we're not, where are we? You know, that sense of that. So if we're not in um, a solid place in ourselves, we can get caught up in that very easily. Do you know what I mean? We can get caught up in the whole lovey-dovey thing. And then they talk about the social comparison. And you know I'm allergic to comparisons. And they talk about that trap. Mm. And that's social media. It's ads. It's TV. It's everywhere you go, isn't it? Like, you know what I mean? There's like, you know, you see couples and they lo- the movies, the mm. books. Yeah, of you course. Know? Yeah. Why is my life like that? Yeah, because it's a movie. Or the the open office, and and one lady might get the twelve roses, and somebody else doesn't get them. And, yeah. yeah, and it's all this, you know, comparison, and it's, you know, this, you know, all about buying stuff. It's not about. And for me, like I know Edith Eager talks about how do you spell love, and it's T I M E time, and whether that's with your partner or with children, that's what it's about. You know, being actually present to somebody else is the greatest gift. Mm. And listening. Yeah, well, listening is the big thing, isn't it? Yeah, without interruption. Mm. That's a hard one for most people. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then the last one they talked about was the heightened levels of loneliness around Valentine's. That Valentine's actually makes people feel lonelier. 
Yeah. And you can understand that, especially with all the hype around it and everybody talking about it and happy Valentine's. And But if you've lost a partner or if, you know what I mean, if you don't have a partner or if you're single or if you have this, you know, the, of course, it's all the cultural, social stuff again about you should be, you know, I mm. hate shoulds, coulds, must have to and ought to, but you should be married at a certain age. And especially if, if you're a woman because your clock is ticking, yeah. you yeah. know, it could be really rough going, like, you know. So I, my whole thing about about everything around this is, you know, um, there's a Chinese uh, philosopher and his Lazatsu, and he said, knowing another is intelligence, knowing yourself is true wisdom. And he said, mastering another is strength, mastering yourself is true power. And that's what, that's where I'm at. It's always about how can I tap in and see what's going on for me? Because when I'm solid in myself, I'll attract somebody who's solid in themselves. And that's what I want. I don't want to be enmeshed with somebody. And uh, finally, because I know that you, you, you're very busy this morning, it was very good of you to come into us, okay. but the, the, the idea that there's that one person out there for you, that special person that... <laughs> what about that, Susan? What a... Special person for me is me. <laughs> is me. That's me. And when I'm solid in myself and I have that sense of, you know, unconditional love for myself, right. which is a work in process, I don't think you're ever there, but when I get better at it and when I know, and not in a vain way, yeah. but when I know that I'm okay and if I need help, I'll ask for it. And you know what? I'm amazing. This the life I've got through. Like I often say, you know, to people who come see me, you know, just think about what your life has been and what you have actually survived, right? Because people think, oh, oh, there was nothing wrong in my house growing up, and then they sit and they think about it and they look at the, oh yeah, I remember that because now there's a bit of safety to remember it. But even if you don't remember yeah. it consciously, right, it's still there. It's still in the background. Do you know? And if it's not safe to bring it up, it'll still be there. It's not going to go away, you know? Yeah, it's very interesting. But are you shattering the whole illusion of all the great love stories in, in history that that really what they were was somebody being codependent? Yeah, but what I want is I want really unconditional love. I want love that I'm not needy, that I don't feel like if you leave me, I'm going to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want that. I want that sense of, you know what? I really love you. You mean a lot to me, but I mean a lot to me too. Yeah. And I'm number one on my list. Yeah. Yeah. So therefore, if I feel like that, right, if I feel like I'm number one on my list, I'm going to have boundaries around stuff. I'm going to take care of myself. You're going to know that if you cross this line, you know, I'm going to say something about mm. it or I'm going to take action for myself. Yeah. But but that independence would be very attractive, Susan. Do you know, do you know when, so. you, when you come across somebody like that, that is very attractive, isn't and it? And you know what that is again, Fran? Like we went back to like we talked about. Nobody wants to be hidden. Yeah. So yeah. that sense of, you know, like we all look up to people like, say, celebrities, and a lot of them it's all, you know, powdered over and mm. we don't know the true story. Mm. But you see these lovely, and that's why we're drawn to couples that look like they're having such a lovely time. Mm. That's why we're drawn to all that, because everybody wants it. Everybody. But what they really want is that solidness in themselves. Right. So are we being sold a pup with a lot of these rom-coms and Mills well, and Boone stuff? Like I love, my favourite book in the world is Pride and Prejudice. Uh, well, I mean, that's just I just it? love it. Well, that's, that's a wonderful piece of literature reasons. as well. Yeah. yeah, but for my own story reasons. Yes, but I mean, that's a great, because you get past the romance and Pride and Prejudice and you see all of all of humanity there, don't yeah. you? you know? Yeah, like I think it's fabulous, but that's yeah. my, that's. but there's a reason why I like it. Yeah. Because of my story. Right. 
you know. Not not because you're looking for a tall, dark, handsome stranger. Well, to I have on. one. <laughs> <laughs> He's not a stranger anymore, I think. <laughs> We're all strangers. We're all strangers. But I think it's about knowing yourself, yes. yeah? Getting to know another and letting another get to know you. That, yeah. for me, is key. Yeah. One of, one of the great love stories that I've ever heard was on this programme, in fact, during COVID, uh, a man called Tom came on and he spoke about seeing his wife for the last time. And because of the nature of COVID, she could only blow him a kiss out, out, out the window. And he spoke so lovingly about her and their long period of time together. And a few months later, he died himself. Yeah. And, do you know, it was the most incredible, unselfish not feeling sorry for himself because he did. But I mean, it was just a wonderful story. Yeah. You know? And I think it's so lovely to have people pass through your life and get that like lovely sense of a person. You yeah. know what I mean? It's a privilege, isn't it? Yeah. But it's a privilege to get to know yourself. Yeah. Susan, always wonderful to talk to you and thank you very much. If people want to talk to you about love or indeed anything else, Susan, <laughs> how can they do that? Sure, it's 86 and it's info at emotionwellbeing.ie Thanks, friend. Uh, uh, thanks very much indeed, Susan. We've uh, a lot of bits and pieces in on this and I'll, I'll go back to it in just a little while. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Join it. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Yeah, Patrick is in uh, complete agreement and he says, you know, for real happiness you have to love yourself first. Uh, another listener on to say, uh, I'm single for the first time in years now and I'm having a great time. I'm loving life. I'm 50, my own house, my car, no debt, loving life and currently not looking. And my advice is enjoy life before you commit again. That's one of our listeners. Kathleen O'Callaghan was on to us. I presume that's my old friend Kathleen. Hello, Kathleen. How are you? Kathleen says uh, hi to Susan and love the interview. Great words of wisdom. And that's uh, for certain. Tom Crew on to us to say, um, I recall part of a quotation which uh, describes love. If I remember correctly, it says love is an act of faith. And he who is of little faith is of little love. Very profound indeed this morning. Now, speaking of profundity, what about Saint Valentine? Well, let's find out more about the good saint with our friend, Dr. Connor Reedy. Connor, good morning to you. Profundity is not usually a word that's used around uh, my name, country. And so, uh, <laughs> um, no rom coms in our house tonight. No rom coms. Are you no anti rom com, uh, Connor? Well, a little bit. Um, yeah. It'll probably be something like Silence of the Lambs or something like that. <laughs> that that great romantic movie. Silence I mean, of the that, that I have a theory about that movie. That is a romantic movie. <laughs> Hannibal loves Clarice. That's why he didn't eat her. Um, Connor, you. Need a lot of help, you know that, don't you? <laughs> and in the sequel, he chopped off her—he chopped off his own hand to to save her. So I mean, that's a, what greater act of love can there be than that? <laughs> <Indeed>. So <laughs> tell tell us about before you go further into your favourite movie. Tell us about Saint Valentine, Connor. Well, you know, if you call me, Fran, it's going to end up literally and figuratively covered in blood, yes. and uh, that's that's what this story is, I suppose. <clears throat> Did you know that there are? 
at least uh, there there at least three Saint Valentines. No, I didn't. Um, so uh, the Catholic Church recognizes at least three saints named Valentine or Valentine Valentinus, and all of them were martyred. Um, and there are two of them that are candidates for uh, the day that we're celebrating today. Wow. So, yeah, so one of them is St. Valentine of Rome. And um, he is the one that's most commonly commonly associated with uh, the day we celebrate today. Now, he was a priest or a bishop of Rome during the reign of the Emperor Claudius II in the 3rd century AD. Now, um Basically, uh, the one legend contends that that the Emperor Claudius decided that single men make better soldiers mm-hmm. than those with wives and families. Mm-hmm. So he outlawed marriage for young men. So Valentine, uh, recognizing the error of this and uh, having you know some compassion and sympathy uh, for those suffering because of this decree, he uh, saw the injustice of it and he defied Claudius and he continued to perform marriages for young lovers in secret, for young soldiers especially. So um, when his actions of marrying these people were discovered, uh, the emperor had him imprisoned. And in prison, uh, he, he, he Valentine actually cured the jailer's daughter of blindness. Wow. And the two of them fell in love, and quite literally love at first sight for her because she hadn't seen a thing before that. Um, (laughs) Political correctness in overdrive there. Don't don't make me laugh, will you? Go on. (laughs) Ultimately, ultimately their desires were (laughs) frustrated because he was executed the following year on the 14th of February. And on the eve of his death, the condemned man sent a passionate letter to his beloved. This is all alleged, Mm. and it was signed simply, Your Valentine. Ah. So that is one part of the legend of where we get that from. Um, so this this day of the 14th of February celebrates his martyrdom. Yes. Now, it was established as a feast day in 496 AD. Now, there's a second St. Valentine, and he was of a place called Terni or Terni. Um, and... Um, in Italy and no. also during the 3rd century AD. Now, like Valentine of Rome, he is associated with performing marriages for Christian couples. Mm. And this was forbidden, uh, as we said, under the um, emperor. Um, he was also imprisoned and martyred for his Christian faith. Some accounts say that he was he too was beheaded on February 14th, but the historical records of this St. Valentine are less clear. Um, so... As I said, there are three of them that mm. uh, are in the running, but two of them are very strongly in the running. This is interesting. <laughs> and you know the yeah. traditions of the the, the the flowers and the hearts and and all of that. What what, what about that, Connor? I mean, is that relatively well, recent, for example? Um, it's it's something that evolved really over the centuries uh, from. Things that happened even at that time, even at that time during the lives of those saints, uh, little sim- symbolic things, gestures, imagery that survived through the years and evolved. So, um, for instance, uh, it, it, St. Valentine's wasn't just for humans, mm. um, because even as far back as the Middle Ages, um, it was believed that birds chose their partners on St. Valentine's Day. And poets 
often rejoiced in the link between lovebirds and lovers, ah, human and yes. and 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 the, the winged variety. Now, according to the historian uh, Peggy Robbins, many superstitions were related to birds seen by maidens on Valentine's Day. So, if the maiden saw a blackbird, uh, she would marry a clergyman. Mm. Now, okay, in modern day Catholicism, that's not allowed. No. But anyway, um, a goldfinch, then she'd marry a millionaire. Wow. A redbreast, she'd marry a sailor. And if she saw something called a crossbill, because I'm not up on my birds, a crossbill, she'd marry a quarrelsome man. Ah. And we know there's enough of them feckers out there. That's for sure. So, you know, so um, now, for instance, young ladies in England then would write the names of prospective lovers on slips of paper. They'd roll them in clay and place them in a bowl of water. So whichever name came to the surface first, as we know, uh, the cream always rises to the top. Mm-hmm. Whichever name rose to the surface first would be their valentine. So a tradition that emerged again over the centuries in Scotland, um, names were drawn from a hat three times. And if the name appeared, the same name appeared each time, then uh, that was the man that she would marry. Um, so uh, there's there's a very interesting one um Europeans, of course, aren't the only one to have, you know, to have adopted St. Valentine as our own and to to celebrate Mm. uh, him. Um, Since 1776, the Japanese city, now forgive my pronunciations here, Mm. the Japanese city of uh, Inazawa um, has held a certain uh, Shinto ritual called Hadaka Matsuri or the Naked Festival. And this was held in February to purify the people for the year ahead. Now, it was a great honour to be chosen as the naked man. Ah. But you had you had your work cut out for you. <laughs> he was shaved from head to toe and sent to a shrine at the other end of the city. And he was chased through the streets by 9,000 sweaty men in loincloths <laughs> to absorb him uh, and to try and stop him and to, to, to absorb all his evil is all all their bad luck and evil deeds so all they had to do was try to basically no there's an easy way to say this to touch off him right. and uh you just by doing so he would take all their evil into him so when the naked man finally did arrive at the shrine then and he spent the whole day having been at the mercy of the crowd and chased he was when he got to the shrine he was dressed in robes and then they chased him out of the town to get rid of all the evil Good that God. went with him. Good God. So, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a tradition that could catch on, I'd say, in a place like Clonmelfran, to be honest with you. Well, I, I was you thinking know. more of Anacarty, I think, up around the RIC barracks there. Oh. I could see that being, being <laughs> Well, good. listen, you being the best-known person <laughs> there, you'd have to be the naked man, friends. <laughs> No, I, I, I have a few other candidates where that is concerned. No, you, you, no, no, you walked into that one. <laughs> I think so, yeah. <laughs> Tell me about the relic that ended up in Dublin, though, Connor. People might be surprised yeah, at that. This is quite quite astounding. And, and uh, for me, I have to say, I'm kind of shocked. It, it, well, ashamed for myself that I've never actually gone to visit it, such is the historic nature of it. So um, in... Uh, Whitefriar Street Church in Dublin. Um, there was, we go back to 1835, and an Irish Carmelite preacher by the name of John Spratt was visiting Rome. Mm. Now, he was apparently uh, a very well known and uh, famous orator, and his fame as a preacher had gone before him, and 
you know, because no doubt he has been brought by some Jesuits who had been to, brought by some Jesuits who had been in Dublin and had witnessed him. So they had gone gone across the, the, the Christian world. Um, so when when uh, John Spratt went to Rome, the elite of Rome uh, they flocked to hear him, and he received many tokens of esteem from the the great and good of the church. And one of these tokens came from Pope Gregory the Sixteenth, and that was the remains of St. Valentine. So in November of 1836, the following year, uh, a reliquary containing the remains of St. Valentine, believed to be his heart and a vial of blood, were brought uh, to Dublin Mm. in solemn procession to Whitefriars Street Church, which is there near Anger Street in Dublin. Mm. And, And they were received by Archbishop Murray of Dublin. Now, when Father uh, Spratt eventually died, the relics' interest in them died away and they went into storage. But it wasn't until during a major renovation in the 1950s and 60s at the church that they were rediscovered. And an altar and shrine were constructed to house them there and enable them to be venerated. So um, the statue was carved by someone called Irene Bro, and it depicts St. Valentine um, in the red vestments of a martyr. And um, the shrine is visited, you can visit it, and it's visited throughout the year by couples who come and pray to St. Valentine um, and ask them to bless their union. And uh, they hold huge sacred value uh, for mm. uh, for um, the faithful. And they sit now, the remains sit in a place of prominence. They're locked in, as I say, in this ornate uh, box. And I... I've got a great photo of it. I'll, I'll email it on to Leanne there, and if, if she wants to put it up online, she can. It's not my photo, but it's one I found, and it's quite extraordinary to know that they're there. Isn't and, it amazing? Uh, Isn't yeah, it just yeah, indeed. You yeah. know, um, and and just finally, before I let you go, Connor, because I was talking to Susan there earlier on, and we made reference to to literature, I suppose, particularly uh, the uh, Jane Austen and and the Brontes and all of that, and and you know, you're a booky type yourself. The, the, the notions of romance we have now, do you think a lot of it comes from that? Well, um, the it, it, Valentine's Day is very much part of the poetry of, Ch- of Chaucer. Yes. And he was the first to record St. Valentine's Day as, <clears throat> as a romantic celebration in his poem, Parliament of Fools. Um, and he wrote uh, in that poem that for this, for this was sent on Saint. Now the spelling is different. Now, for this was sent on Saint Valentine's Day, when every fool cometh there to choose his mate. Um, so that's that's how far back you're going. There, it, uh, it really is. Uh, it, it really is Chaucer. But in, in there, there are mentions in, mentions in Shakespeare as well. Yes. Now, like everything else, it's an evolution. Um, so. The likes of Chaucer and Shakespeare, who were obviously seriously learned people, mm. um, were capable of studying, again, the, the ancient post-AD uh, history and the the Roman Empire and the Roman emperors and um, being away, and they would have had a huge awareness of saints and martyrs and so forth. And they were able to incorporate this into their writing, into their poetry. And they're they're among some of the very early earliest literary appearances of course yes. of St Valentine and all these traditions of love and romance well, which which uh, 
evolve over time. You, you've become the love doctor, Connor Reedy, today. So, Connor, <laughs> thank you so much for your time, Connor. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Oh, it's thank always you. fun, Frank. Thank Thanks you. a lot. Take Good care. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye to you. That's uh, Dr. Connor Reedy there. We'll be back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Now, we were speaking there about uh, books, and uh, now let's talk about movies and, you know, the question has to be romantic movies have they given us a kind of an unrealistic standard when it comes to our love lives well Leanne is with me in studio good morning Leanne how are you good morning um, do you want to answer that question first of all do you think um, you know it's unrealistic standards what we see on our screens I think so. I love romantic films, but I do think they give us the completely wrong outset on love and what to expect. Yeah. And, uh, you know, talk to me about a couple of those. You have Mamma Mia, uh, first of all, and I think you have questions around around Mamma Mia, do you? I love it. I think it's brilliant. I love the music, but I just think, realistically, would it happen? Definitely not. I just, don't. just remind us about the, 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 the core story there. Yeah, so it's centred around Meryl Streep's character, Donna. So she's an independent hotelier and she has a daughter, but the daughter doesn't know which three of these men who she's found in their mother's diary, which one is her father. Mm. So after about 20 years of her being alive, she sends out letters asking the three of them to come to her wedding. So they all show up. Right. Um, ends with a wedding, just not her wedding. But I think that realistically, 20 years down the line, would these three men still be so in love with this woman that they'd get on a plane and go to Greece? I don't think so. Well, it's Meryl Streep, Leanne. I don't know. I think she's absolutely wonderful. So, uh, yeah. But do you think... But have you to suspend disbelief when when you're watching something like this and just sort of let it wash over you? I mean, it's a bit of crack and, you know... I think so. I'd love it to be realistic. I'd love my life to be like one of these movies. I'd be delighted Would to have, you? Yeah, to have people get on a plane after 20 years and fly across the world and see me. I'd be delighted. Yeah. I think you just have to go with it. I think it's the niceness. It's the the good in the world these movies show. And whether it's true or not, I think it's just nice to sit back and watch. You also bring up uh, the core story to West Side Story. Um, what is it about that that uh, you find a little... Uh, unrealistic I think it's just a bit extreme I think they take it to another level they take love to another level so obviously it's about Tony and Maria and they spot each other at a school dance it's kind of a bit like Romeo and Juliet Mm. they're in opposite gangs and it it does end with one of them dying and I think that realistically at 20 are you going to fall in love with someone that much that you are willing to die for them and dance a lot with them. them yeah well of course with Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet I mean that's what happened as well you know that love was so extreme and passionate and stuff that you know it um, do you not believe in that do you not do you not think that it's I think that once upon a time it was I think yeah. that nowadays it's not I don't think anybody would watch a love story about two people meeting on Tinder and going to the McDonald's drive through I just don't think <laughs> <laughs> The romance of all... Just say all that to me again now. Meeting on Tinder and going, and going to, to the McDonald's drive-thru yeah. as a romantic evening. Yeah. Uh, the mind boggles. <laughs> the mind boggles where that is. Where would you find the romance in that? Is it a case of how how big a bucket of chicken might be purchased <laughs> on the on the evening? Greece, what do you have... 
What, what problem do you have with Greece, for God's sake? I love Greece. Now, it would be my favourite out of all of them. But I think if someone spoke to me like Danny Zuko speaks to Sandy when he first sees her after their summer romance, I would be putting him out the door. Right. I think that... Um, it enables the standard that the man's allowed to get away with what they want in this movie and that she felt like she had to change herself to fit in with his standards to be seen as good enough. And I don't think that's realistic either. I think the great thing about love and romance is that people are so different and they find common ground. And I think that's so important. Like um, you were speaking earlier, to love yourself first, Mm. not to change yourself to fit someone else's standards. And what about that uh, idea that uh, John Travolta's character, Danny, he was the bad boy? And we often hear that, that women are actually looking for the bad boy. Is there any any truth in that whatsoever? I think completely, but I think the difference is women want a bad boy who's good for them. They want somebody who's a soft spot for them but doesn't care about anyone else. And realistically, you're not going to find that, so you end up chasing somebody who just doesn't care about anybody. <laughs> I won't ask you, is there any personal experience involved in, in, in any of this? But hold on a moment now. Is it not a case that the the bad boy thing, that maybe a woman might like to change him? or have the, Oh, I can, I can sort of tame him in some way. I think so, but I don't think it ever works. I think that people are how they are. And if you're trying to change somebody, you're putting in your own time and effort that you're not getting back at the end of it. Right, OK. She's saying all this with a big smile, by the way, just, just to make sure everybody's aware of this. The Notebook. Just remind me of The Notebook. Oh, I love The Notebook. Now, that'd be one of my favourites, but it follows the two of the characters. Um, so, obviously, Sarah McAdams is in it and Ryan Gosling. So, again, kind of like Romeo and Juliet, they're from two different classes and their parents don't want them together. So, Noah goes off to serve in World War Two, and you think it's the end of the love affair. The um, Ali has moved on to find somebody else, but he actually comes back and they're still in love. So, I think out of all of the movies, it is the most realistic. I think if I could pick any movie to like represent my life what I would like to happen to be this one like the love is so long standing mm. it's not extreme it's just true love these two people really love each other and no matter how far away they've been from each other for how long they still always come back to each other In your notes you made an interesting point you, you say that some of the films have failed to show the bad side of a relationship uh, what, what did you mean when you said that? I think that these films always highlight the good. They highlight the good days and the dates and all these things, but they don't highlight the days where you want to kill each other. When someone (laughs) doesn't have a coffee in the morning and is just in a bad mood and doesn't want anybody near them. Stop talking about me now. (laughs) Just leave me out of this, yeah. Like when someone gives the wrong directions and when you're running late for something and you just want to throw them out of the car. I don't think it, it, it doesn't set us up to know that not every day is going to be a good day, but sometimes the bad days end up being the best days. Yeah. And still, I mean, way, way before your time, but my, my favourite movie of all time, love story, I suppose, is Casablanca, where, you know, the, the main the main stars of it, they don't end up in each other's arms at, at the end of it. And he makes the grand gesture of allowing her to go off with, with the other guy. But um, what, what about that? I mean, that's a kind of a different angle on it because it doesn't end up in an ideal situation, you know? I think for viewers like me who just love the soppy romance and just want the happy ending, it, it, it hurts because it's realistic. It can be. that this, Not everyone ends up together. And I think that if you're just sitting at home on a Friday night with a carton of ice cream, you don't want to be watching the sad ending. You want the happy ending. You <laughs> Sitting at home on a Friday night with a carton of ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go on a picture of that. What, what about other movies? Can you? I mean, I was saying to you earlier on a movie you haven't seen. I think it's one of the great love stories of all time. It has to be Bridges of Madison County with the said beautiful Meryl Streep and Clint Eastwood as well. I think that's a marvelous movie. What 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 else brings to mind for you by way of movies? Um, 
I think that all of the Disney movies, for someone like me who loves them, happy endings are brilliant. Um, I think one of my favourite movies was What Happens in Vegas. I don't know if you've ever seen that with Cameron Diaz. Um, I don't think so. It's no. brilliant. They meet on a night out. They end up accidentally getting married, but the judge makes them keep the marriage for... I think it's a year or six months or a year. They have to stay married even though they don't know each other. Right. And in the end, they end up they, falling they in, fall love. in love. Yeah, it's yeah. lovely. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen uh, Sleepless in Seattle? No. No? Have you not? No. Oh, I think I think you'd love that now if you like a good love story. And sort of a rom-com as well, yeah. And what about that? Because, I mean, initially we were going to start off talking about rom-coms and then we had to broaden it out a bit to kind of romantic movies. But that notion of putting comedy into a love story as well, um, does that not diluted and make it all seem a bit ridiculous and lampooned and stuff, no? I think it's brilliant. I think that with these kind of movies, there's a line between, like, soppy and cringe. And you don't want it to go over the line where this person is just following someone around aimlessly for two hours on a screen. Like, I think the comedy adds to life's aspect and, like, different personalities. Because everyone's love story is different. Yeah. My favourite rom-com, and again, that's way, way before your time, is some uh, Like It Hot with uh, Meryl Streep and Jack Demon and Tony Curtis, I think, as well. Well worth a watch as well. Let's put it out there. Favourite rom-coms or favourite romantic movies, please. 83 Or why not uh, talk to Leanne about uh, Friday night and a tub of ice cream and whatever's your fancy on 1800-938-007. Leanne, thanks, thanks very Thank much you. indeed. We'll uh, take a break. We're heading towards news in just a few moments time. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage Puck On on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Paul, and uh, welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today. We've been talking about romantic uh, movies, and uh, Gerald, let me see, one of our listeners on to say, um, I don't always like rom-coms, but I really enjoyed the comedy and the chemistry in The Ugly Truths uh, with the underrated actress Catherine Hegel and uh, Gerald Butler as well, one I'm not familiar with, but I must have a look. Quite a few people on to us about Madame X, the movie, saying it's a classic and it's wonderful, and somebody taking exception <laughs> to what we were saying about Grease and Danny and Sandy and all of that. And Amelia says... Uh, Danny changed himself for her too because they both wanted to be together. So there you go. The romance of it all, isn't it? Isn't it wonderful? Tom was on to say as well that St. Valentine um, is the patron saint of epilepsy. I didn't realise that, Tom, and thank you for that as well. Uh, the Proposal is a good movie, says uh, Patrick to us uh, today. And lots of people pointing out my... Um, a mistake there by saying it was Meryl Streep and some like it hot. Of course, it was Marilyn Monroe, and thank you for that, but it was one of the great movies, I think, of all time, even besides it being romantic or a rom-com. It's just a very, very fine movie indeed. All right, then, it's time for a village tour. The Tipperary Village Tour. Funded by Commission Naman with the television licence fee. 
Okay, John, the next stop on our village tour. We're still north of the county and a little bit further up the river. We're in Port Road this week at the most beautiful lookout point. Yeah, absolutely. And you're telling me you've never been here before. Never been here. Don't I bring it to wonderful places? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, this is the lookout and we're just west of Port Row Village. So it's a beautiful place and we're looking right out on the lake all the way across there to over Silly Island to uh, Mount Shannon. And we're looking up the lake then as well towards um, Castle, the Castlelock Estate and that's the Deer Park there. And that was then, of course, in the ascendancy period, you would have, that was a Parker, that was the Parker Estate. That's where Castle Lock House. They were the people who were the uh, grandees there. And right out then there, pointing out onto the lake, we see that then called after them, of course, is Parker Point. And I mentioned that the last day, but we're looking at the place now. Do you, do you remember the 45M, the boat that yes, sank? Well, yeah. that's exactly where it sank out there. And it sank in a storm. And you see it in such, you know, the river today, it's calm, mm. it's beautiful, it's harmless, we're looking at a the great sweep of the river, but it seems almost as if you could swim across it. But I'll tell you, when it gets stormy, and the thing was, they were in Gary Kennedy, and they were it wasn't too bad in there. But when they were coming out along then, once they came around that point there, they were hit by a full gale. And, of course, they had what you call a narrow boat, which is a canal boat, and they're basically built for canals, so they can't really overturn. You know, um, but but when it comes in to a lake like this, they're much more unstable, and they were hit by the full force of the gale there, and the boat sank there. But the, 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 and three people were lost, as I said the last day. But actually, what I hadn't have time to tell you the last day was the boat was actually raised later on. It was restored, and a man that our older listeners will all remember. I don't think you do, Alison, but Roland, like me, will remember is Dick Warner, and he was a great environmentalist when it wasn't to be an environmentalist and he got that boat and he sailed it in a commemorative voyage all the way down along the canal and then in calm weather they waited for they came down along here and they stopped there and they threw flowers into the ocean where the three people were lost and the boat has now been restored so that was uh, that was great but you know it's wonderful here and of course in those days, this was a busy sh commercial shipping lane right up to the 50s and 60s where goods are going up and down. Then railways and 18-wheeler trucks and all that began to take the business from them. And now it has a new purpose. It's recreational. And I think we haven't made full be you know, benefit from it yet. Mm -hmm. But it's hope for the future because up through here, the Lockberg Way is becoming more popular. And now there are plans for a greenway that will go all the way up from Bal and uh, up to Drummondier, which should be great in itself. But yeah. not only that, it's to cross the river then and link with another greenway that will bring it to Limerick. That greenway is planned then to, to, to link with the West Limerick Greenway. And in fact, you go all the way to Fiennes down in Kerry to the West Coast. And that's the thing I think that will happen in the long run. As we get more greenways, we'll be able to integrate them. And I would love to see a day where you can leave from, from Dublin and you can cycle off 
off-road and cycle all the way and visit virtually every county mm. and come back. We're not there yet, but we're going in that direction. But I think the greenways are a wonderful innovation and this one should popularise this place hugely. So tell me, what are we going to look at here in Porto today? What we're going to do then is we're going to go up and we'll look at that. There's a, was a tra- this was never too, too poor an area. Well, obviously the land is good, but not only that, they were lucky. They had natural resources and the natural resource here was slate. And in the 19th century, the demand for slate in the Industrial Revolution was huge. Now, afterwards, you know, in the 20th century, declined when you got artificial slates. But at that stage, and, you know, we were, it was being exported from here. We're going to look at that. And then I'm going to go on. I'm going to show you the graves of the Lindsay men. And being the day that's in it or the time that's in it, I'll have a lovely romantic story oh, for you. All about love. Oh, oh let's yeah. go. I knew that again. I know. Okay, John, and just as we'd spoken about the quarry, here we are. Yeah, right in the middle of, and of course, it's open cast mining. That's why you find all these slag heaps around the place, um, because they have to dig down to get at it. But this was a huge industry that supported this area vastly. In fact, in the uh, 19th century and into the 20th century, 15,000 tonnes of slate was exported from here every year. And there was 500 people employed. And that's at a time, you know, when Ireland was in extreme poverty. Now, what's interesting is the slate that came from here, which was exported, was used in Ireland, it was also exported to the UK. It's called Killaloo slate. Now, why is it called Killaloo slate? Um, Probably because it was exported through Killaloo, but it actually came from up here in the Ara Mountains. Now, we'll, you know, we'll be trying to find out from the local Ara Historical Society here, because I also, a little bird told me that some of it was exported through Gary Kennedy, and that's why, in fact, there was a a harbour down there in in Gary Kennedy that was built down there, but it was certainly a massive industry. But the great thing is, Kiloran slate from up here continues on. Now, I don't think they are mining it anymore, but what they are doing is, you went through periods in the Industrial Revolution, huge demand for slate, it was the only product. Then the new uh, artificial slates came in, true tone came in and that, and there was no demand for it. But now people are going back to their roots. They are going back and they're they're looking for this slate again, and Kiloran are taking old slate from old buildings across the country, I understand, and repurposing it here and creating jobs. So it's wonderful to see the industry going on. So what will happen with the site now? I mean, to look at it, it looks like a site that is kind of in operation at the moment, but what will happen? I imagine, well, that's it. I mean, you know, I mean, that is always the problem with open cast mining. What exactly do you do? How do you clean up the site? And one time, of course, if you look back, you just leave it where it was. Now, this site here has been repurposed to some extent because what happened is there was a very deep uh, depression here where the open cast mining went to its deepest. Unfortunately, it filled up with water it's a hundred feet of fresh water and that's perfect for diving and of course the tradition has always been here with the Loch Derrick Sobacqua Club so now it's been run as a dive centre here and people can train here so that is at least one, one of the benefits that comes through from this. Okay where to next? Oh we are going to a, we had that little romantic story <laughs> still to come that you're looking forward to. Okay, let's go. 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 So, John, our next stop here, then, is the graves of the Leinster men. Absolutely. Yeah, right up here. And you were looking for that lovely romantic story, weren't you? I was. Ah, Well, there you are. That's it. So... 
You see, one time there was this handsome king in Leinster, and he was the king of Leinster, and then he fell in love with a beautiful princess. And the beautiful princess was the daughter of Brian Baru, the high king of Ireland, who was also the king of Munster. So he decided he'd have to go and ask for her hand in marriage. So he set off with his retinue from Leinster down here into Munster, and he was bringing lots of gifts with him as well. Now, naturally enough, Brian Baru then, of course, wanted to know well, this fellow wants to marry my daughter. You know, I'll have to go out and meet him. So he came out and he met him here. And uh, Brian Baru uh, looked at your man and uh, somehow didn't like the cut of his jib and said, you know what, I don't think I'll uh, allow this, I wouldn't have this man marrying my daughter at all. And I want to make absolutely sure he doesn't marry my daughter. Uh, how do you think he did that? Killed him. Put it, cut his head off, Aww. absolutely. And uh, then he said, sure, when I when, when he saw what he had done, he said he'd do it to everyone. So they were, he killed a whole lot of them, killed the entire retinue here, and they were buried right here in this pass. So this is the graves of the Leinster men. So there you are. So you can always say, like the Taj Mahal, this is a monument to unrequited love. And did she love him? Uh, yeah, I'm sure she did. I mean, all the fairy stories yeah. do. It's just this... Uh, this father-in-law from hell that got into the way. So this <laughs> is the story of... Gone. I'm sure we get better better uh, Valentine's Day stories than that when we go back yeah. to Port Row. John, it's beautiful here, but I can't help but think, you know... I didn't know where it was mm. and I would have walked past it. It's a shame it's not a bigger monument, isn't well, it? Well, th I think that is the whole thing. This is an area that hasn't really been promoted very well. I think there is more of an effort be to do it now. I mean, up to recently what you had is loads of signs going basically and then people get here and there's nothing. Now, there is a, a, a map board here and a storyboard as well as that further up, but at the same time, I can we can do much more. And as well as that then, of course, it, there's a path up here then it, you're on a lovely route you can walk all the way up here from the lookout where we were earlier and then we can go to the top of Tauntina Mountain and that's, uh, and that's where we're going next. Lovely, let's go. Okay, John, we've had to come in out of the shelter because we're here on the top of Tauntina and it is absolutely roaring wind here actually this morning but it's absolutely spectacularly beautiful here isn't it as as is common on mountaintops yeah. i can assure you and this is one of the thing great things i suppose anybody who wants to come here you have been oon and aang all the way up with the views that are here yeah. and of course we'd say to anyone you know if you're not particularly fit and you want to visit a mountaintop this is one that you can get to because this is a drive-in mountaintop and it has some fantastic views and we're looking down there over the lake and then across to historic Mylusa, the highest mountain in Clare. Then we swing north over the Clare Hills here back towards Galway and Portumna up the lake, then the great central plain of Ireland then we have the Schlieve Blue Mountains which we can see there if we turn around the Devil's Bit and the Galtys away to the south. It's a most wonderful viewing point and you know I think far more people should visit it and it should really be much more of a tourist attraction. It should be on tourist itineraries in Ireland, particularly when it's so accessible. And then down under us there, we have Lagte Hill. They call it locally Clooney Bryan. But what is there, if you look at it closely, you, if you watch down there, you'll see, you see the steel cross that's on top of it there. There's a steel cross, and that's the Millennium Cross. That was put here in the Millennium. And it replaced an earlier cross, which was put there 
for the Eucharistic Congress. I don't know if you heard yeah, about that, yeah. which was the great, that was the great high point of Catholicism in Ireland and of Eamon de Valera, who had, had a touchy relationship with the Catholic Church during the War of Independence and the Civil War. And now there's this great reapprochement and that cross was destroyed, though. The Eucharistic cross was destroyed in 1940. And this, then, is the, the beautiful cross looking down on the lake. And only recently, then, it has been discovered that this was actually a fork. It was actually a Bronze Age fork. And in those days, you were always subject to attack. You wanted to control your territory. You could do that from a high point, even if you find one of the downsides is that when you're up there, it's yeah. blooming cold but at least you're alive and all around that then was a defensive ring around here and as you can see it controlled the Shannon the great highway up the centre of Ireland all right from the Stone Age period right up to about 50 years ago and now has become a wonderful recreation thing and look at the way the wind is sweeping in there the mist is sweeping and clearing and coming again it is a most wonderful uh, view from up here so that's it then. What we have to do now is I think we head and we'll head to meet the people of Portro. Absolutely. Let's go and we'll be live from Portro after this break. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067-24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Good morning and welcome live to Port Row here this morning. Happy Valentine's Day. Everyone say hi. Hi. And because it's Valentine's Day, we're going to start with a song. Off you go, choir.
Ula Boss. Well done, everybody. Fantastic. <laughs> Alison Lawler, tell me about the choir here. Um, well, this choir um, was started in 2017 um, as a folk choir in our church, uh, St Mary's of the Blessed Virgin, in here in Portrow. Um, but historically, there's always been choirs in Portrow. Um, I myself, as a child, would have sang in the choir in the 80s um, under Teresa Freeman, and um, it kind of is always a love of mine, liturgical yeah. music. Yeah. How often do you practice? So we meet every Wednesday um, at seven o'clock in the church in Portro, cup of tea afterwards. It's kind of grown into more than just a choir. It's yeah. friendship, it's, it's companionship, it's everything, you know, um, all in one, praising uh, the Lord and singing at Mass on Sundays. And tell me about the age demographic you have then in the choir. So the youngest, I think, is Connor. So we celebrated Connor's 18th last year. Happy birthday, Connor. <laughs> And um, I'm not allowed to give the age of the upper... <laughs> That's fair enough. Yeah. That's fair enough. That's great. Yeah. So I presume that you're always looking for new members. Always looking yeah. for new members. And you know what? All is welcome. Um, because um, it doesn't matter. Singing will, will happen if you, if you join yeah. in. And, yeah, and it's good for your mental health. This particular song now we sang is a, is, is a song that we, we... An air that we would sing at funerals. Yeah. Um, the London Derry Air, and um, we sing it to different lyrics. But today it's kind of more poignant because Mark and Michael Shouldice are both members of um, the Portrow Church Choir, yeah. and um, it's old Danny Boy, and this is Danny Shouldice's Hall. Yeah. It's also Valentine's Day, so it you know, so it kind of. It's three in one. It, yeah, it's amazing. And we're going to talk about maybe the history of Shouldice Hall later. Uh, once a huge dancing hall here in the locality as well. Um, I know it's being done up and we're going to talk about that as well. Lovely to talk to you this morning. Well done, Thank you choir. So much, Alison. Fantastic job. <laughs> now, Mike, come on over here to me, creator. How are you? <laughs> Tell me about Portro, Mike. Tell you about Portro. Let me start with the church. Go on. The present one is the third one on the site, and there wouldn't be a village of Portro only for the churches because there was absolutely nothing there, only a fort. Mm. And when the first church was built in the fort around 1750, give or take, that was the start of the village. And the site was donated by a local landlord, Watsons, of Gary Kennedy, who aren't here anymore. Mm. But like there have been several remarkable parish priests down through the years, but maybe the most remarkable fellow, or the fellow who was a bit of a fire on fame, was Father Milan. Who was parish priest? He's buried in front of the altar in Portrow. Right. And uh, he was parish priest here before, during, and after the famine. Yeah. Now, the PP before him farmed eight acres of land, but Father Milan managed to grow it to 29 acres of land. And Paddy Cody has done other research around the place. He's managed to grow that 29 to almost 60. Wow. Now, he managed to, how he managed to acquire all that, we don't know. Yeah. But he refused Pine Blank to pay his tithes. So when they weren't being paid, the minister arrived one day looking for them. And uh, he found Father Milan on a bad day. He was busy. He was ploughing a field. So one word led to another. A row started. He rolled the minister in the wet clay and uh, turned him upside down and took the money out of his pocket. Well, that probably didn't go down too well, I'd no. say. No. Yeah. minister went into Nina to the Catholic bishop in complaints so of Father Milan was carpeted. Right. And uh, bishop is supposed to have asked him, well, had you an altercation with the Protestant minister? I did, my lord. And did you rob him of his money? I did, my lord. Why did you take the three shillings and sixpence? Because was all he had, my lord. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Tell me about Port Row then as a village. I mean, even driving up through it, we've been up here a couple of days this week. I mean, it's. I'm always struck by the different character of every village we've been visiting, and Port Row is no different. It's really bustling for, for a village, isn't it? It is. I suppose maybe it bustled a lot more back in the 1960s when I was a child. Yeah. Like you had several shops, several pubs, and now there's only one pub in the village, and we're very, very lucky to have Gleason Spare, no relation, at the bottom of the village. Because if we didn't have that shop to get petrol, diesel, anything, we'd have to go to either Nina or Bellinair. Yeah. So we're extremely lucky to have it. I mean, we're hearing this all the time about um, the, the degradation, I suppose, of rural communities. Are you feeling that here as well in Portrow? Yeah, the, like the population of Portrow would be an awful lot bigger now yeah. than when I was a child. But like as regards shops and all that, a lot less. Yeah, I know. Janji is dying to ask you a question. Uh, well, Go on, and what do you think is about tourism, of isn't course. it? Of yeah. course. I mean, can tourism be the way to turn around this village? Do you see a future for it? I somehow feel that up here you have a huge potential, but people don't know about it and the tourists aren't pouring in. Would you have more potential, I wonder, maybe in Gary Kennedy? Yeah, well, I mean, you know what I mean? Because it's, it's actually nearer to the. Like, Gary Kennedy is more or less intact. Like, you had two pubs in Gary Kennedy when I was a child. They're still there. Yeah. Like, you had two pubs, sharp hardware up in the quarries. There's nothing there either. Mm. You know? Yeah, so you think that the growth centre would be Barry, Gary Kennedy. And yeah. But then tourism, you get spread effects as well. Yeah, that's right. We've been spending into all, you know, it raises all boats, doesn't yeah, it? it does. Yeah. 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 Mike, tell us about some of the communities then that you have running here in Portrow. Well, maybe we could pass on to other that's people. That's okay, sorry. I don't Jesus, want to I you with I, that, I don't want the <laughs> That's all right. We're going to move on to the Historical Society, of course, yeah. which is another important one. Derek Ryan, how are you? Hi, how's it going? You well? Don't be so nervous. I don't bite on Valentine's no worries, Day, so don't be too nervous. Derek, tell me about the Historical Society. When was it set up? Yeah, we were set up in uh, 2017, um, and it kind of encompasses the whole area um, of Ara, which is Portro, Newtown, um, Bohor, into Ballina. So it's um, not just, you know, it's not just Portro, but I suppose historically and archaeologically, I suppose the area, you know, was all one at one stage, like, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so, as I said earlier, um, I suppose it felt like it was just kind of pu pushing it open the door. There's so much interest in um, yeah. history and archaeology around this area, so it, it was uh, very easy to set up people you know normally you're struggling for numbers but 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 there's lots of people that, that yeah. had um, lots of varied um experience and uh you know interest to to, to to join the group you know and what better place to set up a group i mean you're just surrounded by yeah. historical and archaeological um artifacts here aren't you yeah very much so i was just writing down some of them there and it's just yeah. there's no way we get through them all in, in a short space of time but i suppose um going back to kind of the prehistoric times um you know kind of megalithic uh, type stuff like um stone circles and um, standing stones, that kind of stuff. It's probably one of the most important places in um, Tipperary uh, and uh, holds itself up with any um, in Ireland, I suppose. Um, there's a you could rattle through them, but there's 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 a stone circle. Um, we've got a kind of megalithic rock art, which was it's the only uh, example that's been found in in uh, Tipperary. Um, that's up at um, near the school at Lucian Tyrone. Um, there would be. Um, yeah, also, there's a stone row, uh, there's, there's kind of a hill fort, a Bronze Age hill fort at Loch Tay, where the Millennium Cross is when you walk out there. Most people wouldn't know about that, but um, these hill forts date back to uh, 4,000 years ago. Um, and it's likely that it was for kind of controlling the, the Shannon River, which was probably an, uh, for, for hundreds and, yeah, it was for thousands of years, it's been probably an archery of, of the country, like, you know, kind of like yeah. the old motorway people would have went on um, and water when, when the land was, you know, would have been too impassable, which would, um, you know, yeah. the, the roads wouldn't have been very good back in, in those yeah. days, you know, so, um, yeah, I suppose, and then just the, the society, um, we've, we, um, 
we, we, we joined a, a scheme with the Heritage Council called the um, Adopted Monument Scheme, and uh, we, we adopted the Graves of Lentisman, which is um, looking down over the Shannon, um, just to try and find out what, what, what that was. There's, there's lots of mythology and uh, legends about it, so we were just trying to find out more uh, scientifically, I suppose, what, what it's about. And uh, we've, um, we, we, we got funding from um, the Heritage Council and Tip County Council to carry out a few, um, a kind of a geophysical survey. It's something you might see on a time team where they yeah. kind of try to look under the ground without, without digging up, like, you know, the ground. So, and, uh, um, have you done that? Yeah, we've done that already. And, How did uh, that go? Well, uh, it, we, we, I suppose it, it, what's likely is that it's kind of a, a site that's gone back thousands of years and it has maybe been reused a few times. So it actually has made the map of what's underneath there very difficult to, to, um, to understand uh, and really to be 100% sure of what it is, you'd have to actually do an archaeological excavation, yeah. like, you know. But um, it definitely dates back a lot older than the story involving Brian Brew. Um, That's yeah, you know, yeah. Um, and, John? Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I've been telling the unfortunate listeners of yeah. Tip FM a lovely romantic story yeah. about the King of Leinster falling in love with a beautiful princess yeah. down in uh, Munster mm -hmm. and the consequences at the graves yeah. of the Leinster men. But I think you kind of burst my bubble and said, this this is actually a, a Bronze Age site, so there's no there's romance no whatsoever. So yeah. sorry, Alison, because you were yeah. on and on, weren't you? Uh, but no, but I think I even just the fact that it's been associated with um, Brian Brew just shows how yeah. important it was. Like he was the High King of of Ireland at one stage. So um, and um, often um, kings like that would have liked to. Uh, get prestige from older sites like you know to show that they've been around for a long time you know so yeah, um, yeah so. like John we're always talking about that how all of this folklore and all these wonderful stories and I mean Derek went through so many sites there I mean why don't we all know about them a lot more than we do well that's right and I mean I mean I took you to the graves of the Lensaman yeah. for your first time ever yeah. and you were a proud temporary woman yeah. but you did say you were going to come back up here you yeah. were struck by it. well when you have to look out and then you have Port Village, Gary Kennedy on one side the wonderful walks uh, Lacte Hill up there town tinner and I promote that because I used to do a lot of hill walking and it's the only drive-in mountaintop I know yeah. in Ireland with a magnificent view so I mean we should be promoting it that people can get to a mountaintop I think that's unique in Ireland that you can drive and park on a mountaintop yeah. I think there's an enormous amount here but we have to get the message yeah. out. Derek that I'm sure a lot of people um, they mightn't have the ingenuity maybe to delve into the history of the area like you do but I'm, I'm sure they love to read the results of it can they do that is there um, kind of online yeah. articles? Well, yeah, we, we also um, we, we run a journal here, a local historical journal, and um, that's been going for four years. So that's called the um, the Annals of Arras. So that's that's available um, online at our, our website or our two local um, uh, stores here as well. Like you know, so so a lot of what we do it goes in there, and it's it's not just archaeology; it's lots of uh, you know um, uh, social history as well. You know, yeah. we we we, um, we do some interviews of, of uh, older people in the area, and you know they they, they talk about supposed you know going back to all the farming practices. I, I think I saw a book in the post office as well. Did I? Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's what I was like, yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's it. it the, the, like I said, the archaeology and history spans thousands of years. It's um, another thing that's unique to the area is um, in our graveyards, there's um, a unique kind of uh, artwork on, on some of the slate um, stone uh, graveyards from the 1800s. Um, and they're kind of linked in with the slate quarries here. We, yeah. we think that um, the, some of the stonemasons there would also have, um, you know, they would have been experts with stone and they would have also had their own unique kind of style of um, uh, motifs or um, iconography on the, um, on the stone, uh, um, on the, the gravestones, like, you know, mm. and uh, they're, they're I, I find it fascinating. Like, yeah. there's all, they have all, you know, there's all these different stories involved at, uh, on uh, the, the, you know, in a kind of a, 
uh, graphical way, like you know, because probably back then people wouldn't have been able to, um, you know, like in you demonstrating know. how they died. Uh, no, more about about uh, generally about religion, and right. uh, you know, um, one of them has uh, Saint Patrick um, uh, banishing the saints, uh, the snakes from Ireland, you know, this kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and um, there, there's um, others. Then um, I suppose there's an old uh, story about uh, the the cock and the pot relating to the um, the resurrection of Jesus. Like you know, it's an old Irish story that that isn't everywhere, and that that's 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 carved on some of the stone, stones in a supposed to. The wider area. Oh, so, yeah. And will you eventually? Do you, do you think you'll ever get the full story of the of the Gravesville incident? And You're very bothered by this, aren't you? You're very bothered. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to find out. I want yeah. the skeleton of a beautiful lady yeah. to be found down there and wash away. Careful the now, John. Yeah. Careful. Yeah. Um, well, I suppose we've made we've made great progress in what we've done, and we're not going to let it go anyway. We'll definitely try and yeah. try and do more with it. Like you know, um, recently we um, we upgraded the um, the information board there, which had previously was you know, it's kind of hadn't got that much on it. Like you know, with our latest results so yeah. if anyone's up there they'll be able to get you know a little bit of information you know yeah. as they're enjoying the beautiful views of, of nice of to have lake, a little so, bit of yeah. mystery to it too as well, well yeah there? that's it you know yeah. and, and everyone loves the you know the romance, romance of a good, le yeah, of yeah. A good legend like, you do. know so yeah. Derek lovely to talk to you this thanks morning so thanks so much um, because of where we are then yep all of us thanks Derek we're in Schuldice's Hall, and if the walls could talk about the romance stories I'm sure I mean we'd be here all day Michael Schulder, it's lovely to meet you. And lovely to meet you all, and I would like to welcome everybody here today. Tell us about the history of the hall. Well, the, the hall here had two projects in mind. One was to build a sawmill, and the other was to build a dance hall. And um, so in 1938, he built his sawmill, and he was able to get power generation equipment with it, which worked then for the next 16 years to give lighting to the dance hall, which he built in 1939. Fantastic. And the hall opened on the 8th of October, 1939. And... Um, Ran for 40 years, was it? Yes, it did. The late 30s, all the 40s, all the 50s, 60s, and closed eventually in the early 70s. My goodness. And I can imagine all... I'm sure a lot of local couples are together because of this dance hall. Yes, actually, when it was known that I was doing some work on the hall here, several people came in who had been here as younger people and middle-aged people and said, well, they could identify for people sat who met whom. And, and then they spoke about meeting their partners here and very often their parents meeting their partners here. That's lovely. I mean, 1979, it did, I suppose, signify the end of that kind of social dancing and going to halls for dancing. It kind of went to pubs and nightclubs then a little bit. Yeah. It makes you a bit maybe nostalgic for times like that, doesn't it? Yeah. Yes, it, it does. It does. But it, everything was changing and advancing. Yeah, we don't like change, though, Mike. I suppose we don't. <laughs> but then people were more free to travel. Yeah. The education system was working, and many things were changing. And so that in that environment, you know, the age maybe of dancing locally came gradually to an end. Mm. And with it then, I suppose, the whole, um, I suppose, went to sleep, hibernated for a little while, but now it's being reinvigorated again and reawakened again. Tell us about the work that's going on here. Yes, well, something which impressed me always was the work which was done in the beginning was done totally manually. Mm. No modern machines of any kind to provide what we take for granted today. So the men who worked with my father and their, some of their relatives are here, and some people here who are, worked with my father when the hall was extended in the mid-50s, and I would like to pay a very special thanks to those people who were there at each stage. 
Yeah, because mm. I mean, a lot of work went into it, didn't it? Y yes, yeah. it did. Yes, it did. And it's full of history and full of memories and people love to come in and talk about them. And tell me, what's the plan then for the future? Once the work is done and it's developed, what would you like to see happen? Well, I suppose uh, what we're really saying is that it's work in progress. Yeah. It's going to take another while to bring it to a conclusion. But the kind of needs that exist today are somewhat different than they were then. Yeah. And uh, people like to be comfortable, and the things that they want to be involved in generally require a cosy place. Yeah, and uh, that's the main thing. Tell me about some of the big bands that played here, because there were some big names. Oh, yes. A bit yes. before my time now, Michael, but <laughs> I'm sure some people might recognise them. Yes, well, uh, um, a local band which was particularly um, fruitful, uh, but really, really good, was the Bridge Cayley Band. And they played here regularly and were at the operated at the very highest level. Then you had the Johnny Cummins Cayley Band from Ross Grey, the Tully Cayley Band from Clare, yeah. the Gallo Glass Cayley Band from Wicklow played here, um, the Ockram Slopes Cayley Band from Galway, the Kieran Kelly Cayley Band from Athlone, the Maliki Sweeney Cayley Band from Armagh. Wow, and that's just a few of them, and isn't it? And then Mick Dell played here as well. Fantastic. He was the one with all the romances. He was yeah. the beginning John, really. Yeah. Yeah. So that it was a transition then from the late 30s through the 40s. And in that period as well, my father operated a cinema here as well. Really? Through all that period. Wow. So his projection equipment was just over my head there. Yeah. And the screen was uh, up there where the, st the stage was there. It's very exciting to see new life coming into it again, though, isn't it? You uh, must be very proud. Yeah, yes, indeed. And um, to delighted with the level of interest that people are expressing in the work yeah. um, and, and, and people have been welcome to see it and people come in and talk about it yeah. and it is generating lots of discussion. It is. Mike, lovely to talk to you this morning. Uh, sorry, John, did you want yeah, to come in? Yeah, I mean, I must wonder, in those days the church was powerful. What happened during Lent? Were you all sitting <laughs> at home looking into the fire or what well, happened? <laughs> there were some special times of the year. Lent was one of them. Okay, so there was no dancing during Lent unless St. Patrick's Night or the 17th of March and that was one of the very big nights of the year okay as was St Stephen's night and the 1st of January New Year's night okay so during Lent then different traveling groups came here to perform their plays on the stage there you had uh, Cormac Brothers the Carrickfords, and I think there was one other group as well, which just name doesn't come to mind at the moment. Mm. But they would have come in the mid-50s, 55, 56, 57. And they were hugely supported by local people and from local parishes. They were what we call the fit-ups, weren't yeah. they? Yes. Yes, yes, yes indeed. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. And just one other little thing about yeah. the dancing. During the summertime, uh, they had a platform out here beside us. Uh, so that when dancing wasn't taking place in the hall, the platform operated. Oh, fantastic. Mike, lovely to talk to you today. I know we could stay all day here, yes. so thanks very yes. much. I know you want to quickly thank a few people, yes. don't yes. you? I want to pay um, a very special thanks to the people whose uh, families worked here with my parents, OK? I want to pay special thanks to Martin McKenna and Tommy Meany, who had worked with my father in the reconstruction of the hall in the mid-50s. And I want to pay a very special thanks to Jane Quinlan from the Annals of Arra, who researched the information about the opening, mm. and to Eileen Minogue, um, um, Paddy O'Brien's daughter. Lovely. Michael, thanks so much. A bula bus there for Michael. Thanks a million. Now, as we were speaking about a little earlier and uh, during our little walkabout as well, the quarries, of course, played a huge role in the history and the heritage of Port Row. Uh, Jim Ryan, how are you?
I am very well, thanks. Good man. You are, I'm told, one of the last people to work in the quarries here. Is that right? Yes, that's right. I worked for 12 months, roughly, right. until 1949 when the strike came in. Mm. You know, so... Uh, what was it like? Well, the qu quarry was going well, like, but the thing about the quarry was that it was too hard to get the stone out. Yeah. They didn't strip it back far enough, and so... It was, uh, the spring was coming up from the quarry, not the rain coming in, and they had to use pumps. So, 13 weeks strike, then the quarry uh, filled up, so that was their excuse to cancel the quarry. I think the Tubex and all that came in then, that was easier, yeah. you know, so they were more interested in that. So, a lot of people, like, it did start up a bit after that, in the 51 or 2 or whatever. But it never became a success, you know. Yeah. It was always going to be n no goal. Yeah. And was it the artificial slates as well that were competing with you at that stage well, against the natural yeah, tiles and slates coming in from Spain and wherever, mm. you know. Mm. And, uh, like, the, as I said, the tiles were a big thing because they were mass-produced. And you had a huge mudslide there as well. When we went up there, I didn't think about this with Alison. We were up at looking at the quarries. She said, this place was always like, was there ever kind of an avalanche here? And I said, well, I don't know anything about it. I came in this morning, and that contributed to the closing of the quarry. Was there a main, yeah. a main a, a, a slide into the open cast mine? Yeah, well, yeah. there was a man killed there. He, um, he was next door to us above. And uh, the slide came down and caught him in the bottom and killed oh, no. him, yeah. So like Aberfan in Wales. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, well it wouldn't be as big as that, yes. but, it, you know. But, uh, yeah, it was, I mean, when I was there, like, and my father was one of the main, like, he was a skilled slate man. And uh, I got into the quarry at 15 because of him. <laughs> and I st stayed there until the end of the strike, Yeah, you know. And, and it was extremely labour-intensive, wasn't it? Oh, when it was. was, was yeah. It had to be done by hand, so that created jobs. Exactly. Oh, it was great. But, I mean, they had the uh, big saws over from Germany, the diamond uh, saws. I used to take over a bottle of tea to my father in his sock. <laughs> <laughs> and the knives of that diamond saw, I mean, the two big ones. And, uh, you know, they were well organized. Yeah. It, was a, it was a big job. And you went to England then for a while. I did. But you I... had a dream in your head about what you were going to do when you come back. Tell <laughs> me about yeah. that. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, like I said, as things went here, you know, there was no, no uh, proper industry or anything. And my brother had gone to England. So he gave, he sent me 20 quid. That was a tenor to come over and a tenor to come back. And being the youngest of the five brothers, my mother expected me back. Yeah. But anyway, if you think, I, I won't hold you too long, but I'll say when we came here to Chelsea's Hall, like, we'd manage on a Sunday night, maybe whatever it was, a shilling or whatever, and that was our week gone. Yeah. And then when we came here, the women would be lined up along there. Waiting for you. And the boys would be lined here. And my mother used to play the concertina, so we were able to dance. Right. Well, if you went over there and asked a woman and you weren't able to dance... <laughs> You wouldn't get a woman. Oh, so you had to dance. <laughs> so you had to. So there was three things you had to have to get a woman here in Chelsea's Hall. Go on. You so had, you had to, to, be dance. Able to dance. If she fancied you, you could take her for a mineral in there. Look at he's laughing up right. there. And then 
the Rolls Royce of everything if you had a bike with a crossbar. Oh my God! <laughs> and if you had a basket, I mean, they go mad all together for you. Look at what you missed out on, Alice. I tell you, simpler times. So that we need to go back to that. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. I know we're going to come back to you again in a yeah. minute because you're going to sing us out with the, the song of yeah. Portrait. That's an important song to you, I know, because oh, you're involved is. in that. Oh, I, I, I got the song as a poem. Yeah. Uh, Dennis Lines was the man. And um, my, my auntie above, in, like the husband died young, I used to have to go up and collect the eggs for her and all that. Yeah. And he heard me singing around the house and he said, Jim, I'm going to compose a song for you. Yeah. But you'll have to put the air to it. And there's another song as well he composed for me. It's about the strike in the oh, quarry. Right. But nobody ever heard that one. Well, <laughs> hopefully if we have time today, we might. Yeah. Uh, warm up those vocal cards, because I'll be back to you in a few minutes. Oh, yeah, uh, but a boule bus anyway for Jim Thank there you. before we come back to him. Uh, Simon, we're going to talk about Gary Kennedy now as well, because as we know, tourism, a big uh, part of, of what goes on here and a big draw for people to come into the area as well. And Gary Kennedy, of course, in the parish. Yes, Alison, it's actually a Townsend and it's also a little hamlet uh, yeah. of approximately about 300 people in the Townsend. But within the actual village, there's about 10 houses facing onto the harbour fronts uh, with nine people approximately living in those 10 houses. Mm. Um, we have two magnificent uh, uh, facilities uh, in terms of uh, on the water being the harbours and the marina. Um, we have um, plenty of walkways uh, where loads of wildlife from mallards to cormorants to um, walkways where people actually can have wheelchair access. All this was actually put in in about um, 2021 uh, in consultation with the government department and obviously the council, county council. Yeah. Um, you have the, the boat club and the fishing club We have, well. yes. Uh, the boat and fishing club was actually formed in 1974 um, with uh, permission and kind uh, uh, from a new family who, who gave land down there to, to the boat club and the fishing club. There's a sailing club there which was formed in 1985. Um, we have two uh, facilities for food and drink, namely Larkins of Gary Kendi, ran by Maura and Cormac Boyle, and we have Sis Rhines, uh, which is um, Denise and Rye Breen. Um, and after that, basically, I suppose we have our castle there. Yeah. Um, that was called many, many different names over the years. Um, one was Castle Gare, it was called, and we believe that it may have been the translation from Cashlon Gare, meaning a short castle, to actually uh, Slanger Castle, which we believe Slanger meant that there was illegal selling of liquor and so on. And maybe this came about when the Guinness barges came into Gary Kennedy and maybe they tapped the odd barrel and ah. gave them out to the locals. Yeah. We also had a Shebeen there, uh, farther up, uh, Cobby McGrath ran a Shebeen. So, um, there's, yes, there's, there's plenty of activity yeah. um, on the village end, looking out onto the lake. We can see the wonderful rolling hills of Clare across in Whitegate. Yeah. We can see County Galway, which is in over in Willemstown. We have Isle of Moore, which is a magnificent uh, uh, island. We have Holy Island off to yeah. the west, up Scarif and so on. Uh, and also then if one fancies uh, a good long walk, you can head off over towards Cornode and do the... Um, there's a beautiful walk.
back over there. Fairly rough terrain, all right, in uh, terms of Castlock Woods, which uh, is all around the Deer Park, which yeah. was all part of the big estate that was actually over there. Yeah. And then a little bit farther on, then you have Castlock, uh, which is a little beach and a play area for, for the grounds. But you're just blessed around we're, here, aren't we you? Are, we are, we are, yeah. yes, yeah. But of course, Gary Kindy in the summer really is, is a yeah. hive of activity where you have so many people coming, all the different cruisers coming in yeah. uh, from, from everywhere. Um, it just brings it to life again, doesn't it? It, it does, it yeah. does, it does. I'll yes. have to leave it there for this morning because I'm running out of time, Simon. But thanks so much, Abula Bus for Simon. And we're going to go, of course, every village we go to. Should we love the Ga, don't we, Tom? We love Ab the Ga. Absolutely. Now, the Ga, and the Ga is very strong here in Portru. Um, I've no doubt. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I've, I've often heard that when people play Portru, they do remember playing Portru. So, yeah. They do good. have a reputation down south. Yeah, but good. It's good oh, reputation. Good, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And a uh, very active club. Um, we have uh, Juvenile, uh, Camogie, our senior, and most recently Ladies Football. So, it's a very active club. A lot of, a lot of people helping out, uh, which is badly needed in a, in a community. Yeah, and you're intermediate this year, isn't it? We are, yeah. Thanks, Alison, for <laughs> mentioning that. We're yeah. intermediate too, Tom. It's not <laughs> <Yeah>. that bad. <laughs> yeah, no, we're back intermediate, um, but we'll, um, we're back training and uh, we're, we're ready for the fight again. So, yeah. How are you doing for numbers? I know we were talking about that before. It's, it's something a lot of clubs are really um, struggling with at the moment. Are you struggling in terms of that? I mean, a lot of clubs looking at amalgamating. You hate to see it, but you want to keep them playing, don't you? Absolutely, yeah. No, at the moment we're okay with numbers, but it, it is coming down the line. Um, I think you mentioned earlier there with other speakers um, what can we do for this area but we do need housing in yeah. this area badly I know it is a, it is, this is a lovely part of the country um, it's nearly a hidden secret as far as I'm concerned Absolutely. and it should be getting out more but we need to get people living here and I do think the bridge in Killaloo will start opening up this side of the country do you and think? I, well I hope so because it's going to be easier access to get to these areas yeah. and uh, I'm hoping that maybe the powers will be there in the local government that might allow more housing in the side of the country. Tell me about the development in the pitch as well, because I know you're planning a walkway around there too, aren't you? Absolutely, yeah. We, we got a chance there a couple of years ago during COVID. Um, land came available adjacent to the club and we purchased it. And we're now going to have a walkway, which is badly needed as well, because we want to kind of get everyone involved in the club. Of because course. you mentioned there a while ago, there was only one shop and one pub. Well, we want to kind of make the GA, the hub of the town. So we have a walkway coming, we have a car park, we're going to uh, make the two pitches bigger and we're also going to hopefully get a community cafe That'd for people amazing. that could come in and do their walk in the morning, all ages, young and old, um, and people that are even gone from GA yeah. that can be involved and have a cup of coffee after us. All the best with it and all the best for the year ahead. Don't worry, you'll enjoy Intermediate. Thank you, Alison. We'll, we'll look forward to meeting right. you. <laughs> Thanks a million, <laughs> Okay, would you believe we're out of time? That absolutely flew. So I'm going to go, ha go back to Jim because we're going to finish out with a song. Are you ready for me, Jim? Let's try, yeah. <laughs> Good man. First of all, I just want to thank everyone here at Port Row for such a great welcome for myself and John this morning. You've all been fantastic, all right? Uh, thanks for having us. Do we need... Are you, you're ready. You don't need to clear the throat or anything. You're good to go. Look I'm at you. You're okay, born yeah. ready. Whenever you're ready. <clears throat> The other day as I did stray along the Shannon shore And as it came into my mind the country to explore 
I stood upon the hill of Port, where I had a splendid view to crown the lovely scenery round the village of Port And as I looked down... And there we leave uh, the beautiful scenery in the beautiful village of uh, Port Rue. And what an excellent piece there from uh, Ali and all the team up in uh, Port Rue today. That's part of our village tour. All right, then we're heading towards news and we'll be back to you. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage Pecan, your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, Call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Paul, and you're welcome back to the final hour of uh, Tip Today. Getting a lot of messages in there about our piece from uh, Port Rue or Port uh, Row this morning. Uh, a lot of people enjoying uh, that and enjoying the crack. And one person on to us uh, to say, you're talking about romance. There's nothing as romantic as the bar of the bike, says one of our listeners. Uh, looking back, I would imagine, with some rose-coloured glasses there, uh, for sure. Keep those calls coming in uh, to Leanne, 1800 That's our free phone number. You can text and WhatsApp. No, oh, three three double one double three double one. Of course, you can email tip today at tipfm.com at any time at all. Now, every Friday, we hear the views of various people on our weekly panel, but we thought it might be interesting to get the views of a younger age cohort. And this week, I'm delighted to be joined in the studio on this Valentine's Day by three very young people indeed. Josh Brown is with me, Caitlin Coleman is here, and Lana Green, and you're all extremely welcome, and thanks thanks for coming into us today. Will you tell us a little bit about yourselves? Josh, can I start with you first? Tell me about you. Yeah, uh, hi, my name's Josh Kelly. I'm 18, attending St. Joseph's College, Bursley, and I'm an aspiring young journalist. And what about what you intend to do then? When you say you're studying to be a journalist, is that a print journalist or are you looking uh, at broadcasting? Anything or? in the lines of journalism, broadcasting. Uh, I write for Cork City uh, in the First Division of Ireland and I find it really exciting just talking about sports in general. Very good indeed. And, you know, in terms of interests and hobbies and all of that, what what do you like? Uh, I really enjoy listening to opinions of certain people, such as the Irish guy, a guy from Clare, who talks about the Premier League. And This is online, I this guess. This is online. Yeah. This, mm. He posts on YouTube, and he's quite extreme in his reactions, but it can be quite entertaining just to, A, hear a familiar accent when talking about English football, and B, He's just, he's got the squeaky Irish voice. <laughs> very, very good indeed. Uh, Caitlin, can I go to you? Tell me yeah. a bit about you. Um, I'm 22. I'm from Wexford. I go to college in Mary Tarlis and I'm studying to be a business and religion secondary school teacher. Mm-hmm. And what is it like for a Wexford woman to, to be in the Premier County studying? Uh, it's not too bad now. It all be worse. To be fair, I, I absolutely love Tarlis. It's such yeah. like... The college community are such a tight-knit community because obviously the college is so small that everyone kind of knows each other. You're like one big family, so yes. I don't have any complaints. Why Why religious studies? 
to be honest, I did it for the business. And then it was either accounting or maths after that. So I was like, I'll just stick with the religion, to be mm. honest. I, I do find some of it quite interesting, but I wouldn't be that religious now. Would you honest. not? Okay. No. So anything you've studied on religion so far, it hasn't changed your mind? Or not really, no. If anything, it's kind of nearly made me believe, like, not believe in God. Hey, are you serious? Yeah, yeah. Okay. God, you're going um, to have to tell me more about that. <laughs> why Why does studying religion make you not believe in God? Um, I suppose, like, in our class, there's a class of maybe 30, so you're getting the opinions of different people. Yeah. And hearing some people's opinions has kind of made me... Like, I'm not 100% sure, that's the thing. Mm. Um, and I'm, like, when I'm teaching in schools, I'm open about that. I say to the, my students, like, because I'm on placement at the moment, so I'd say yes. to them, if you don't believe in God, that's completely fine. If you do, that's fine. If you're not sure, that's fine. I'm not sure. Right. But And when like, they say you're studying religion, what, yeah. is it all religion or what? what? Um, so in first year, for we did one module on world religions and that was kind of it. And then after that, it was looking at Christianity more so. So like the Old Testament, the New Testament, God, where you can find like Jesus and... Mm. To be honest, I actually won't be able to tell you much about the religion. I just wanted right. to get in there and pass it. But the business is what I'd be more like passionate passionate about. Isn't that very interesting indeed? Lana, tell me about you. I'm 18 and I'm doing a diploma in hair and beauty in <coughs> BTCT in Thurles. Mm-hmm. And, um, and tell me about that college. What What is that college? It's a really good college. It has different sections where you can do business and mm. there's the hair and beauty and catering and all that. It's a lovely college so it is. Yeah. It's quite small but it's lovely. And is that something you always wanted to, to uh, do? Yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's special to you. Yeah. What about other interests, Lana? What are you interested in? Um, Mostly it is just hair and beauty I'm interested is in, it? to be honest, yeah. 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 Very much, yeah. And are you into movies or um, books or games? Or? I quite like reading, so I do. Do but, you? Yeah. yeah. Anything in particular? Um... Not really, no. Not really, okay. <laughs> Cross-section of, of stuff there as well. Let, let's talk, it's Valentine's Day, so guess what? We're going to talk about love uh, to begin with. Um, and can I start with you on it, Josh? I mean, our presumption is that young people nowadays, if you want to find somebody or if you're you're going to be scrolling through various uh, um, platforms, is that the way it is? I mean, or is that an old fella's sort of idea of what I don't it is? know, really, because, like, there's two lads in my friend group in school who have girlfriends but they kind of just mess through parties and getting messaging each other like you know just meeting people generally so the rest of us I think some of us will be watching the Champions League tonight the other two lads will be with their girlfriends it's a bit I don't think it's changed all that much I think Tinder might have worked maybe 10 years ago I don't think it's in favour with the young people of today Is it not? I don't think so is it not? Isn't that very... Because, again, our perception is that you're all flicking through these things and you're deciding, you know... Well, I can say from my experience, like, there, most of the lads I know don't have it. Like, I can think of two that I've seen have taken screenshots on it, just made fake accounts of some of the other lads taking the mick out of them, like, you know, but... Other than that, it's not used at all from what I can see. Isn't that interesting? So, sort of, it's gone past that, is that... It is looks that, like that's it, what anyway. You're saying to me. Caitlin, would you go along with that? Um, I'd agree, yeah, I would agree with him. I feel like, like, I have a word for myself, we didn't meet through Tinder or anything, we met, um, again, through friends of friends and yeah. stuff like that, and I feel like that's how a lot of people would meet nowadays, 
Um, I feel like Tinder is the type of app that you'd go to if you're not looking for a serious relationship. Uh-huh. Um, okay. Especially... Um, so what, if you're looking for a dalliance, as we used to yeah, say, a yeah. <laughs> That's one like word that. to call it yes. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know, I just feel like you're better off like you're better off going into a relationship if you meet them first rather than texting online. Right. You know, that's why true friends are friends. You know, if you're friends with this person, they'll be able to tell you what they're like. You can kind of be like, oh yeah, I'd like to chat to him. And so it's her. safer, I guess, as well. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Because yeah. you have the whole like catfish stuff and all online as well like right, Josh you're, saying. You're, you're going to have to explain catfish now to people like me. Is that where you assume somebody's uh, uh, identity? Is that it in some way? It's where you pretend to be someone else yeah. essentially. Um, so you're using a fake profile. So if I was to put a pictures of let's just say Alana for example um, yes. and pretend that I was Alana that's right, okay. catfishing essentially. Right, and yeah. that's that's common? Yeah, that's, that's very common. Yeah, very common. Okay, yeah. So you go along with Josh in terms of that's we're gone past that notion that online is the way to meet people. So are we yeah, going back to? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I've heard. I personally think most people I know anyway that are in a relationship have met their partner on on nights out or yeah. just yeah. through friends and stuff like that. Yeah, Lana, what what about you? How do you feel about? Kind of the same as both them. Like I have a boyfriend as well, and I wouldn't meet him through Tinder. Like what Caitlin said about it's more just if you want, <coughs> not really something serious. Yeah. Um. Like, I know a lot of my friends, none of them are on it, like, kind of known as to be a bit dangerous, as for catfishing, and just, you, you could, someone could pretend they're 20, and they could be 50, or, yeah. you never know, like... Really old, yeah. like 50, yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> um, I, that, that's very interesting, because, you see, our perception is that, that that's the only way that younger people are, are meeting up nowadays, but yeah. then you're saying to me, that's, that's not true. For my personal... Anyway, and my friends, yeah. not really, to be honest. So where do you go then? Where where do you socialise? What what do you do? Uh, going out, really, is how I like... What, what's going people. out for you now? Like, now, I don't go out as much anymore, but, like, say if you're going to the pub or, you know, like, just socialising with your friends yeah. and, like, meeting people through friends. Just a friends. local pub? Yeah. Yeah. And what, yeah. what about clubs or... Yeah. You can yeah. meet a few people there, <laughs> right, okay. I suppose. But like I said, like I don't think you'd find something really serious in kind of places like that. Mm, yeah, Josh, what what about that? I mean, if you were socialising, I mean, I know you're just eighteen, but where where would you socialise, for example? Well, for us, it would generally be a night out, like Lana said. It would be, let's say, it's someone's birthday. You'll all end up in a pub in Nina or Turles and. You might meet someone from another friend group or someone, I'm in sixth year, you might meet someone the year behind you and be chatting away to them, grand old chat, and yeah, like, you could meet anyone nearly at that stage. Right, but it's in that sort of a way that... It's in a little bubble like that, that you, yeah. You, you, you'd meet people. Yeah. Does, you have to be very careful now that you have a boyfriend, Caitlin, <laughs> but does, does Valentine's Day mean anything to you? Is that is that special? Mm, not really. I feel like... Uh, because of social media it's changed a lot um, because you know you'd have people especially influencers posting pictures of what their boyfriend got them and this and that and I feel like that's making other people think like oh how come my boyfriend didn't do that I, it, like it's quite toxic that way but I do like the idea on Valentine's where you're showing your love not necessarily for your partner but for people who you love so your sister your mom or your dad I like oh, that aspect so it's not, ju- it. not just romantic yeah love. well I yeah. wouldn't say so yeah. just 
someone who you love. Like, it doesn't necessarily have to be a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Um, like, I always get my sister a little rose and chocolate every year for Valentine's because I'm really close to her. So. That's a lovely yeah. idea. T- tell me a bit more about these influencers because, again, we, we hear about these uh, people constantly. These are people who want their personalities on various social media platforms, as that is. Yeah, and they're, essentially. They're putting forward their wonderful lives to you. And, yeah. And, yeah. And their advertising products as well, I think. Yeah, that, yeah. It's like yeah. some influencers can be very real and we can relate to them. And then there's others that, they're kind of just showing off. They don't make. They don't kind of say they're showing off, but you can tell. You know what they post whenever they get new packages, and they're just. And does know. that does that have an effect? I mean, does this? I mean, even a smart young woman like you, do you yeah. say, oh, "I wish that you know"? Does not that... now, but when I was younger, definitely. Like yeah. in a lot of girls in secondary school, I'm not too sure about boys, um, but for girls, it would have a big impact on it. Like, I teach in an all-girls secondary school at the moment on my placement, and you hear about them saying, oh, did you see uh, whoever this influencer? Oh, I wish I had that. I'm going to ask mom for that for Christmas. And it could be, uh, it's, I don't know, do you know it's Sol de Janeiro spray? Yeah. It's like 50, 60 euro for a bottle of it, and these 13, 14-year-olds are looking for it just because... Just, just tell me, what is that again? It's what, a, it's like a body spray essentially, but it's okay. like fifty euro, I think, is yeah. it? Right. Yeah. So this is some influencer, Lana, is yeah. it that that's pushing this? Yeah, I feel like influencers. What you see on social media is not anything like real life. Like, like you said, there could be some influencers that are really down to life and you know, like real. But yeah. there's definitely some that do like to show off and living essentially a perfect life. But you know, no one lives a perfect life, so. Mm, but could you see why some people might get caught up in it, love? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. and and you're in the beauty business, so how yes. influential are the influencers? Like we mentioned, a product there, yeah, but they definitely influencers like they have a big impact on everything because they have lo- a lot of followers and a lot of young girls. Like definitely, it definitely affects a lot of younger girls, and a product could be. 80 euro essentially and it just you know it's not worth it like you don't need it like but definitely but because so and so is advocating it yeah. you, they they go yeah. along with this yeah that's that's incredible Josh influencers where, where young lads are concerned do they play any part well I, you see I'm not really one of the most active people in terms of influencer kind of social media mm. I don't really use TikTok uh, in that regard I might go on it once a month maybe but mm. like uh, in my life anyway it doesn't really play any kind of role like doesn't what it, we'd yeah. see would be uh, did you see PSG have released a new fourth uh, jersey or a new third jersey and it's partnered with Jordan or something it's like oh that jersey's class like mm. that's a bit of kind of what we talk about or something like that it would be more so the... So the sporty side yeah, of Tyson of Fury has announced he's fighting something like that. It, that would be the kind of influence we'd see. That like, it see. wouldn't be products being chilled <laughs> more so. Would it not indeed, yeah. Uh, Josh Benson mentioned uh, TikTok there. I'm I'm still with Facebook, <laughs> needless to say. But uh, is it largely TikTok? Yeah, or? mostly TikTok and Instagram. Right. Um, it was Instagram for a while, but a lot of it has moved over to TikTok now. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's just because you see on TikTok, the videos can be so short or so long. It kind of just depends. And you can blow up with just one video as well. That's the thing. Like if you get millions of views on one video, then if you keep posting because you've gotten so many views on a certain video, that 
the other videos will pop up and that's how okay. people will get famous a lot quicker, I would say anyway. I don't know right, if yeah. you agree with me. But is, t- yeah. is TikTok your thing as, uh, as well, Donna? Um, yeah, I use it, yeah, but it definitely a lot of people use that more than another different platform because you can... It just reaches everyone, really. Like It's just easier to get more viewers on it and once you post a video and it goes viral let's say you're more likely to get more followers from that and so on like right is that, and do you post quite a bit on it uh like privately yeah to my friends okay but i wouldn't <clears throat> right yeah. but it's it's not it's not a huge part of your life is that is that and was it at one stage uh, uh probably not no because i when i was like more influenced by tiktok i don't think tiktok was as big right. as it was now like yeah, yeah, because you're also old, of course. Yeah, that's that's what it is. All right, stay with me for a moment because I must take an ad break. By the way, if you want to uh, involve yourself in our conversation with these young people, it's uh, 083 311 Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie And you're very welcome back to Tip Today and welcome back to our youth panel. And Josh Kelly is with me, Caitlin Coleman and Lana Green as well. Um, yeah, we're getting some some uh, questions in. They want to know what do you think about the uh, referendum that's uh, coming up next month. Caitlin, can I start with you on, uh, on that? To be honest, I don't have a clue. <laughs> do you not? No. I, I, I've heard of the referendum, but I don't know what it's to do with or anything, to be honest. Right. And what are you registered to vote, for example? I don't think so. I'm trying to see you now, so I've been 18 for four years. I don't think... I can't remember anyway registering to vote. I haven't voted in the last four years, so right. I probably haven't registered, to be honest. And, and can I ask you why you're not engaging? Um, well, I don't know much about them, to be honest, so I don't feel like I should vote if I don't have the full facts, if that makes sense. It's almost like forming an opinion on someone if you don't fully know them. Like, it's just... There's no point. I don't want to give the wrong vote to someone either if... I don't mm. think they deserve it, you know. But isn't there something wrong with a system where smart young people who are going to college um, are not aware fully about what's happening in politics? Isn't there something wrong with that? Yeah, 100%. I feel like they just aim it all towards older people. And even at that, I don't think they're giving the older people um, the, the right information. Yeah, all of the information either. I don't know. And are you a bit cynical about politics, Caitlin? Are you? Yeah, I wouldn't really have much of an opinion on it, to be honest. I think it's all like who the person is. It's like who you know, not what you know, sort of a thing. Interesting. Uh, Lana, what about you? Can I put the... This is Patrick's idea, by the way, to put it to you um, about the referendum. Oh, Lana. I'm the same with Caitlin. I haven't a clue what it is at all, to be honest. Right. Even though largely they'll tell you it's about draconian language that's there to describe women's place in the home. This is would be the government's take on this and that, you know, in 2024, that's no longer applicable. Um, e- even that, that hasn't registered. So they, no. they're not engaging with you. No, then. this is the first I've heard of it, to be honest. Well, I've heard of it, but never known what it is, to right, be honest. the detail of it. And even when I do look it up to see what it is about, there's nothing really on it at all, to be honest. Right. And you were saying what's there is kind of confusing. Yeah. You. Yeah. Uh, Josh, you have an interesting one because you tried to register to vote. I did. I tried registering this morning and 
I'd meant to do it for a good while now at this stage and it just it's not clear how you go about it and it's one of them things I think it really should be brought into six years in schools because like a lot of six years are 18 and then you know like you'll have people who know how to do it then and if they're even just talking about it in school the people who are about to turn 18 that'll encourage them I think it's the same with giving blood that whole kind of thing all them kind of uh, events that involve the young people, they should be really brought into the schools. Right, but you're a young person, 18 years old. You want to get involved. I you do. want to engage it, but it's not being made easy for no, you. No, it's not made easy. And uh, I was reading an article, I only barely looked at it, but I think something like 79% of people don't know what this referendum is about. And that mm. includes me. I was only briefly skim reading through it and I've no clue what the referendum is about yeah. I'll probably read up about it and you're somebody who's involved you like journalism you, I do, you know, I, do. I like politics like I'm openly vocal about my opinions but it's kind of nearly hidden away from us what the actual referendum is about I think isn't that isn't that absolutely incredible Caitlin just in general where politics are concerned you you're saying to me you know it's almost not relevant to your yeah. life, would that would that be fair to say? Yeah, to be honest, um, I feel like if they wanted, because they're always giving out that like, oh, young people aren't using their vote and stuff like that. Yeah. If they did want to use it more, if they wanted the young people to use their vote, I should say, there's so many ways that they can go about it. Like, like kind what? of bring it back to TikTok. There, I know, um, like Sinn Fein and all these different political parties have TikTok accounts. So why don't they use them to try like explain to us how to vote or explain what a referendum is? Um, kind of reach out to us in the way that we'll understand it as well because they're not even like, like young people use mm. social media a lot I should say so that would probably be the best way to reach out to us rather than putting it on the news for example Yeah I find it interesting because in, in, in the poll in fact to the one that Josh made reference to, to there it seems to be largely people your age will vote yes in fact in this coming referendum but Lana you're telling me that can you tell me about your friends for example have you ever discussed this with your friends yeah or? I don't think any of them would really know what it is either right. to be honest but I think social media would be a good marketing way to get it across to young people because like not a lot of young people would pick up something and read about it like yes. so but it has to be made relevant it does you. yeah because it's our future and really yeah. isn't it and and would you go along with Caitlin there by saying that largely what's happening in politics is is kind of somewhere over there? It's not really relevant. One hundred percent, yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, I don't know. If I was a politician listening to this, I would find that very damning. Yeah. You know, that young people who are studying and want to, want to get on with their lives and stuff that it's not relevant to them. You have an interest in it, Josh. I do have an interest and. To counter the two girls' points, I'll say that some of the politicians are a bit ahead of the curve. Like, you'll have... Like who? Uh, let's, the, let's, the Healy let's Rays. and celebrate. The Healy Rays are on TikTok, and they're hilarious. They yeah. are comically, but it's very funny. Like, I think it was... One of them walked into his office. He was doing an office tour, came in, and it was about the turf and about cutting out turf. And he was like, oh, I have this turf up in my mantle. I give it a kiss before I get to work every morning. And it's like, you know, they are there. It's just... There's no official channel from the government, from any kind of, well, as I said, official channel to tell us what's coming up, what we need to know, what is the actual information. Because the Healy Rays could be telling us something that's entirely true, entirely false. I'm not going to say whether it is or isn't, mm. but 
it's their opinion at the end of the day. But but the fact that the comedic duo that is Michael and Danny Healy Ray like are funny that shouldn't really be relevant. <laughs> no, it shouldn't. But it definitely it, it gains them attention, and it's very clever how they've gone about it. They're possibly I think it's uh, Michael Healy Ray is like one of the most followed TikTok yeah. uh, pages in Ireland, and that's comically bad. Like, but. Uh, yeah, it just shows that he's able to gain that influence, and with that, he could be getting a lot of votes now in the future, like just from people knowing who he is. Right. Because as the girl said, it wasn't relevant to them. So, so a, a lot of public representatives tend to listen to the the the, the program so that they can give out to me largely. But but there you go. <laughs> but if you were to advise them on getting in touch and and making themselves relevant to people your age, tell me what what would you say to them? I'd say that they need to put any of the good work they're doing into a space where the young people will see it. Like, you see, for example, uh, Jackie Cal has done stuff in my local community. So uh, I see his posts on Instagram. But if that was shown on TikTok and targeted at other young people in, let's say, Luke or in and around Thurlis, he could be accessing a much larger audience because... While a lot of young people use Instagram, there's also a lot that would use TikTok over it instead. Right. So get with it in terms of the social platforms More or less, that, yeah. that, that are out there. There's so many things I'd love to talk to you all about. Can I talk about immigration? Because this is something close to my heart because just a few months ago my son went to Australia and we're still broken hearted over it. But, you know, we felt that that's what he wanted to do. What about immigration for you, Caitlin? Is that something you look at when you travel? Or? Yeah, 100%. My God, um, you didn't even have to think about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I... I will come back to Ireland, so the plan is to kind of work for two years maybe and then move to Canada for a few years. Um, I think Canada is a nice place to go because it's not as far as Australia and it's quite similar to Ireland and then I feel like after a few years in Canada I'll come back and settle down in Ireland. Now that could change depending on what Canada is like but that's the plan for the moment because at I just feel like young people aren't appreciated in Ireland at the moment. I was going to ask you that, why, why are you going? Um, to be honest, just to kind of see what else is out there. Right. I've been in Ireland. Would you say you don't born. feel appreciated? Yeah. Tell me more about that. I don't know. I just feel like all the you know the men and women in their forties, fifties, sixties, kind of they're giving out saying, "Oh, it's the young people's fault." You know, "Oh, climate change is because of the young people." "Oh, this is happening because of the young people," and they they don't want to blame themselves for it. They're kind of blaming us just because we're the young ones. Right. Uh, does accommodation come into it for you, like in terms of the cost of rental now, oh, yeah. you know, the difficulties of buying a house or owning a house? Is that part of it as well, Kate? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Like, when I, when I graduate, um, I'm going to have to obviously get a job, but more than likely the only jobs that are available teaching jobs especially as a newly qualified teacher will be in Dublin. And as we all know, the rent in Dublin is ridiculous. So... Even just in Tarlis and in Wexford, like the rent is just ridiculous. Um, so at least if we move abroad, then it'll kind of ease that a little bit, hopefully. But and yeah. w- would you intend saving up when you were abroad and maybe being able to come back and do something then? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's the plan. I, I, you know, I find that desperately sad. But anyway, uh, Lana, what, what about you? I don't think I would because I'm very, I love my family. I wouldn't like to be away from them. But I feel. As we get older, as I get older, should I say, I might be pushed to move out somewhere. For example, the rents are so ridiculous. Like, and even to share, like, get a shared room, 
it's ridiculous. Like we paying like five hundred, six hundred a month just for a room. For to share a room. Yeah, Are for a shared saying? house. Like yeah. Wow. So I might feel pushed to move away if like there's nothing here. Right. Like. But you're you're somebody. I'm not saying that Caitlin doesn't love her family. But you're somebody <laughs> who's a real home bird. Yeah. If if you don't mind my using yeah. that description, but you might feel forced to. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, I wouldn't, like, I want to stay with my family, I do. Like, I don't think I'd be able to live abroad without them. But if it's this, if it's the same rent since the way it is, like, a few yeah. years' time, I might have to, like... Right. Are you cross over that? Yeah, quite cross, yeah. yeah. And again, is this something that would be much talked about among your your friends? Uh, not in a way, maybe about my friends looking to rent a house or rent a room, should mm. I say, like... yeah. Yeah, it would be, but not. Don't think they'd want to be pushed. They like no one wants to be like being pushed to go somewhere they don't yeah, want to like. Course, but yeah. you might have to like. Yeah, but it's interesting that there seems to be loads of work, but affording yeah um, uh, accommodation, whether it's rental or to to buy someplace, seems to be out the door. Josh, maybe you're too young to answer this, aren't you? Yes, for me, friend. Uh, I'm honestly, I don't see a reality in where any young person really stays in the country unless you find a job straight out of college but most people go to college in the country and then it's straight out like to be honest I can't see myself staying around here the price of rent is ridiculous uh, again as as is the case when when I heard Caitlin say I, I'm really sad about that, so that um, and is it that you would like to say if, if things were better is that it but well like especially in lines of journalism there's not the work there but uh, I was listening to a lad online speaking about rent he was paying for a shared house in Turles in 2011 so we're here we're just after the recession we're like still in the middle of economic crisis and he was paying I think he said 500 euro a month this was in 20 in 2011 in 2011 for a shared house and just for the crack at the end of 2023 he said he threw his name in because he saw the same house up for rent and it was €1,400 Euro a month. Like, that's nearly three times. I worked out the maths, like, shortly afterwards. I think it said, by the time I leave, college, uh, by the time I leave college, it'll be about €1,800 Euro a month, which is... If it continues if on If it continues on that trajectory, yeah. Yeah. it'd be, like, which is ridiculous. There's no way, like, you should be paying for that when the house was 20 years prior, like, a quarter nearly, of what it's going to be charging whereas mm. wages in Ireland are a joke. Yeah. And a lot of people would see that as dead money then because, it's, you know, you're not going to own anything after No, you won't. Time, That's just that renting, time. like, yeah. so... And where would you go? I mean, what, what would you have in Well, mind? like, the dream, obviously, would be the Middle East because of the exorbitant wages over there. Like, mm. obviously, a Australia... Very little tax, a very little tax. Yeah. Obviously, Australia and America have very attractive ideas, but the thing is, with the Middle East, you're making just so much money that like you could go there for 10 years and you'd be back and you wouldn't have to worry about money after that you could work any job you could make as little money as you want and you'd own your house Mm. you'd own whatever you want like you'd own your car you wouldn't have to uh, be feeling obligated like oh I'm under pressure for money no you'd have that money there sorted for you It's interesting are you cross at the situation here? Well you'd feel upset especially when uh, Simon Harris is announcing three quarters of a million to bring back uh, tradesmen and builders to deal with the housing crisis over the next decade. But like, there's this is bringing people back into the country, and 
there's at the same time there's people leaving the country there should be benefits there to staying in the country like there should be programs jo- there should be jobs there to keep us in the country and mm. that's just not the case okay now they'll tell you that i mean unemployment is way way down in terms of percentages and there are opportunities for jobs there but is it that the money isn't enough is that well i would say Especially in journalism, there's not jobs. But yeah, the money isn't enough. Like, uh, I was looking in Glassdoor, I think it was, and the average person working as a journalist and in the media is, like, averaging thirty and €40,000. And I remember before uh, the Russia-Ukraine war, the living wage was around €15. Euro, so I can only imagine it's skyrocketed since then. So, uh, yeah, like... It's at a crazy price to try and live in Ireland. So realistically, you're looking for to cut corners at every place. All right, stay with me. I need to take another break, but we'll be back with our youth panel in just a few moments' time. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. All right, I think it was Caitlin that started it when she blamed uh, older people indeed for for, uh, climate change and uh, the like. And Raymond is taking great exception to that. And when I put it to you during the break, Josh got very annoyed. I was like, why why, why are you so annoyed, (laughs) Josh? Well, you see, like... Oh, here we go now. The emissions, <laughs> like, they really didn't come from us. Like, you can yeah. say that we're getting all our clothes imports and all that, but mm. I don't think, like, Amazon is our generation, in fairness. Like, we didn't set it up. I don't think it's a 16-year-old or whatever that actually is bringing around all the emissions that are being, emit- that are being emitted. But, like, we're simply a product of our time. Like, we're going to be uh, accustomed to the services that are there, Mm. Uh, established in our parents' time and so on and so forth. So anything that has been present in our lives, it's come directly from our parents and that generation. So we're to blame, is that You are saying? absolutely to blame. <laughs> Don't hold anything back though, Josh. Just, just uh, say it as you feel. Um, not that I'm getting my own back or anything, but uh, let me just put together a couple of uh, messages coming into us. And can I start with you on this, Caitlin? You're all a bunch of snowflakes, you know. You're all easily offended, you know. You don't have a great amount of resilience about you. What, what do you say to that thing? Because that that's being said a lot about your generation, isn't it? I would agree to a certain extent. Would you? Actually, yeah. Well. Not more so people I thought in you were Ireland. going to have a row with me the way you <laughs> no. there. No, I do agree. Not with people in Ireland more so. I would say people in America and maybe the younger generation, like 13, 14 year olds now growing up, rather than kind of our age, I would feel. Um, I feel like they get offended very easily, have to be careful of what you say around them. Whereas if someone was to say something to me, like you know, as a joke, mm. I want you, you take it. I take it, pass it off, yes. pass it off as a joke. But if you were to say that to a thirteen-year-old in a few years' time, they could find that very offensive. What is that about? Is that this woke generation? Is that what? What is that about? I'm actually not too sure to be honest. It's just right. I don't know. I think because they get these opinions from everywhere as well. Like going back to social media, because it's such a big part. They're getting these opinions from all these different people that 
it's it's almost where they're like they don't know what opinion to have themselves, kind of. So they kind of get offended. Like, right, very interesting. You know, yeah, Lana, what about you? You're you're a snowflake. You're you're <laughs> sort of you're all into drinking drugs. You're online twenty three hours out of the day. What what do you say to? People? I definitely agree with Caitlin on it. Like, it's do you? Yeah, like I feel like it's a lot of social media influencing, say the thirteen and fourteen year olds, like. Like, I know a lot of them are doing things that, like, we wouldn't do. Like, they'd be... I don't even know an example. Like, they'd be <laughs> buying the expensive perfume that Caitlin mentioned earlier. Like, you know, like, right. when I was that age, like, I wouldn't even know what that is. <laughs> but, uh, I, but, yeah, no, definitely, I think you can't really... You have to be careful what you say around a lot of people. And, and do you feel that, personally? I mean, not you... really, now, like, because there's, there's a difference between, like... A joke and then being a pure bully like some people would mm, yeah. would say oh you're you're so like sensitive or you're you can't take a joke but when they actually are pure bullying and i think that's where the snowflake thing comes in yeah but there's a i feel like there's a lot of people that you can't say anything to yeah and what about that resilience bit that you know you've all been pampered and spoilt and everything and so much so that when you're tossed down into the world yourself then you're finding it hard to survive out there yeah um well i wasn't pampered anyway but i know a lot of people were like got given everything and you know like they just and like when they're out in the real world the real world they don't really know what to do like you know like yeah. I know some of my friends don't even know how to cook for themselves or like to boil an egg or anything like like that's <laughs> you're making me blush here now because I'm, I'm not very good at that myself I can but are you serious yeah 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 yeah. I feel like it's to do a lot with their upbringing as well, though. Yeah. Do you think so? Because different, different families upbring their children yeah. differently. So I think it just depends on the upbringing. It's not our fault if our parents raise us to be spoiled, kind of like. Yeah, I won't be spoiled myself now, but. <laughs> yeah, but you see, if, if I can have a word for my generation, um, just to say that I, I think we tried to make it better for our kids than we had it ourselves. Yeah. And maybe that resulted in over pampering yeah. you know? but there's trying to give them a better life and then trying to make them independent as well though there's yeah, you there have to find that line of, of, yeah. of that to it Josh what about that uh, you're a well, bunch of snowflakes in I here. wouldn't agree with the fact that there's snowflakes especially in this country I'd say maybe yeah in America but like I can only think back to Christmas in school we were helping the first year set up for our show and this one little 13 year old started having a pop at me and taking the mick out of me. And I can't say he was too much of a snowflake because he was well able to take it now as well and I gave it back right. to him. So, you know, like, there, I wouldn't say in this country it's very relevant. But yeah, I'd agree to some degree that there's people that can't cook for themselves and that's neglect is what that is, in my opinion. Like, there's nothing more to it. Like, you can't... It's a disservice not to teach a young person how to cook, how to clean, like... I think it's fairly basic to fire clothes into a washing machine and fire mm. in a pod, but some people just actually do not know what to do with that. Now, you, of course, I'd check with the mother, make sure I don't make absolute hands <laughs> but, like, you'd know yes. how, what to do, like. And right, and would your mum insist on that? I mean, would, would you? Oh, absolutely, yeah. like, oh, God, if there was, oh, I can't do this, jeez, there'd be a fair reaction at home now. Steady now or you won't get in the front door. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, but it has to be, like, you have to be able to light a fire because fireplace in most households. You have to be able to cut the lawn. Absolutely, you have to be able to do it because 
you're training your child in for independence, like in fairness, they're going to mm. have to figure it out one way or another in a few right. years' but, time. But would you agree with me that the perception is that you're all a bunch of snowflakes? I'd agree, yeah, I'd agree, because there's a certain degree of your generation that have kind of just kind of ploughed on. <laughs> so you have to just, put it like that. <laughs> just ploughed on and got in through it, and <laughs> it's definitely been very different for our generation. And as you said, there was kind of an attempt to make our lives better, and some degree that's gone too far, and... As per such, we have this term, snowflake. All right. Can I ask you about something else? And again, it's a topic, you know, certainly every month we would have some uh, some aspect of it. The whole business of drugs. And again, the perception, Caitlin, is that drugs is freely available. It's all out there. Obviously, you're not going to mention any place to me or anything like yeah. that. But is there an element of truth to that? I mean, Yeah. yeah. Um, especially on the college scene, I would say. Just not my college in particular, but yeah, yeah. a lot of colleges, especially the bigger ones, I feel like it is a is it, big is part it, of it. Is it normal, if you know what I mean? Is it seen as being, being just a few people over there who are yeah. sort of in their little league, or is it the norm? Uh, I feel and like you're not it, referring to your own college. No, no, you're fine. No, just yeah. in general, I yeah. feel like it is normal, but um, you wouldn't know unless if you go out looking for it, if that makes sense. Right. So if you're in a big college, let's just say one of them in Dublin, like unless if you know someone with the drugs, you won't really know about it. Like it's not kind of visible to everyone, if right. that makes sense. And Lana, we're not just talking about colleges, we're just talking about in general where entertainment is concerned and, you know, is it as big an issue as as it appears to be or as we... Yeah, definitely. I feel a lot of people can get it very easily, like more easier than they should... Um, like you could just text friend of a friend and be like, do you know, can I? Do you know where I can get this or that? Th- blah blah that's, blah. That's that simple. Yeah, that's simple, definitely. Right. Um, yeah, even so. in rural Ireland. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, but like Caitlin said, like you wouldn't really know of it, like unless yes. you know you go looking for it, really. Right, but when you go looking, or if you go looking, it is there and is available. Oh yeah, probably a hundred percent. Yeah. Right. Okay. Josh, what about you where that is concerned? It's definitely there. Uh, like, I can message two or three people and I'd have it within an hour. Like, it's that readily available. Mm. And I think it's definitely approached from the wrong way from the adults. They're like, oh, the drugs are ruining everything. But it's a bit like, no, they're actually right under your noses. Like, there is people, at, there's groups at 16 that are just getting it simple as that. Like, it's crazy like I would say it's nearly a 40-50 split of like how easily it's gotten and how easily it's consumed and stuff and the result of that Josh will be what? I don't know if there is a result to be honest I don't think it changes anything because uh, especially in the younger people's kind of scene it's more so weed and because of that like there's no real harm of it now there's obviously people who will go on and somehow get addicted to it, even though it's not that addicting compared to well, other People would see drugs. that as a gateway to class They A could see it uh, as a gateway, but as yeah. long as these people are informed that, you know, these drugs are off-limit, like, you know, they, like, you talk about the harder drugs, absolutely off-limit, whereas the, I won't say softer, because they're still, drugs are still illegal, but the likes of weed, it's not as harmful and... It shouldn't be feared as much. It shouldn't be categorised in the same line as, for say, heroin. Like you're, if right. the saying is, if you're on heroin, you're never never getting off it. Like. So, w- would you go down the road of legalising the softer drugs, like when you talk about weed or cannabis? Well, I think if you legalise it, you can make it safer. I think that was a very big statement at Electric Picnic, where they yeah. were like, 
look, we're not, you can hand up your drugs, there'll be no issue, but we just want to make sure that everyone has it safe, that there's no issues with any drugs. Like, uh, if it was legalised, then it's all going to be checked and safe. Like, one of my friends, for example, when we went to Longitude uh, last year, uh, he found weed on a bathroom floor and it turned out that it was poisoned. But, wow. like, wow. if... You know, it's so readily available that, like, if and, that's... And you don't know what you're getting. You don't know so what you're getting. But if you do, then there can be steps in there to make sure that nobody right. is being poisoned or such. Can I leave on, on a lighter note? And again, as people of a certain age uh, would say, the music you're listening to now is absolute rubbish and there's no <laughs> melody to it. And as for your... The, the artist who is representing us in Eurovision, don't start people off on that. Uh, Caitlin, can I ask yeah. you about music? What, what do you listen to? Uh, a bit of everything, to be honest. I love music. Do you? Um, honestly, I honestly prefer music from the 80s, which might, which might surprise a good few people. But I do like music from nowadays as well. Um, mm. I'm not really picky, like... Okay. I kind of like a bit of everything. But but it is important to you. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. Like if I'm in the car, I'm listening to music. In the shower, listening to music. Studying, listening to music. Like I'm always listening to music the whole you know, time. I never know how people can do that: study and <laughs> listen to music at the same. I I'd be totally distracted by it. But... If I throw on the country mix, then it'll be fine. But if it's like techno or something in the background, then I can't concentrate. Can you not? No. All right. You want to get up and dance? Like yeah. Uh, Lana, what about you? Um, what about music? Um, I kind of like a bit of everything as well. I'm do more you? so like old kind of the country songs. Do you? Yeah. Um. But more, like like Kayla said, it's more, I have to be listening to music with everything as well. I do love it myself, like doing anything. Like I feel like it does help me concentrate actually a lot more. Yeah, I can never understand yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, because I'd be distracted. But I, yeah, uh, Josh, what about you? Where music is? Well, concerned? I couldn't do it while studying because like I just I couldn't take in the information. But I suppose that just depends on how your brain works. Like if you're doing some sort of monotonous task, like doing a dishwasher or something like that. You could do it for hours on end with just a bit of music you're, playing there. You're very domesticated. You know? <laughs> like, that's what's coming across here. The yeah. washing machine, you're throwing in the dishwasher. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, great, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but like, yeah, I'd listen to a bit of rap, pop, anything like really, and it's just bit of fun like you know yeah. adds a bit of a spark to like an otherwise dull task alright ok well very good indeed well it was a real pleasure to have you today you're getting a lovely thumbs up from all of our listeners out there and <laughs> the main thing they're saying is you should have these people on more often so you better be careful the phones the phones will be ringing but lovely to see you all uh, Josh Kelly and Caitlin Coleman and Lana Greenwood as well thanks very much indeed thanks, thanks that's about it uh, for me for today thanks to Ali who supplied our content from lovely Port Road today and of course Leanne produced Stephen is on the way with the Time Tunnel and I'll talk to you tomorrow. So look after yourselves in the meantime, won't you? Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.